You're listening to episode 127 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So this week, um, Marvel announced the runtime for Avengers Endgame. And much to my dismay, it's three hours and two minutes. That's chill. Here we go. Here we go. My question is, Kel, have you ordered a stadium pal yet? So that you you can just pee right in the theater. I have uh, I've been in contact with my lawyers. I've uh, called funeral directors. Um, I'm prepared to not leave the theater. There's my no dude, way I'm. If you finish your coke bottle, just pee in the coke bottle. No, listen, that's not funny. One time I went to go see Attack of the Clones with my uh, brother opening night, and the guy sitting no, next to me. The story's already terrible. The guy sitting next to me, piss in a soda cup because he didn't want to miss the movie. <laughs> I think that's literally the only way seeing Attack of the Clones with your brother could be a <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so I thought I would take a second to role play for the people at Marvel and, and the, the broader uh, movie producers um, uh-huh, what this uh-huh. experience is going to be like for, uh, for people like me. Um, well, I'll bow out because I'm not personally into role play, so you can... Keep going. Okay. Well, that's that's great. I was hoping Phil would be uh, my lovely wife. Um, so uh, I'm okay, sure so, that is what you were hoping. So so okay. So we're sitting in the theater. Uh, okay. We're we're uh, we've got our popcorn. I I'm not I'm not I'm not holding it this time because you remember what happened last time. It went uh, everywhere. You're so clumsy. So clumsy. So okay. It's thirty minutes in. Okay. Hey, it's, it's, hey, sorry, I gotta, I gotta go to. No, not right gotta, now. God, you always do this. I don't want to have sex right now. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> I don't know. Sean, I'm Kale's wife. Obviously, Kale has a thing for being in public. I've just gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Can you not? I'm trying to watch a movie. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You always do this to me. <laughs> this movie isn't very funny. I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> Wait, is there more to the bit or? Not anymore. Oh. <laughs> I was waiting for the payoff. <laughs> <laughs> Just just like me getting to pee, it ain't coming. <laughs> well, Neither are you tonight. <laughs> there we go. All right. Now it's all come full circle. But really, uh, dear, why, why is there a hole at the bottom of this popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you guys for joining us. <laughs> on another episode of the Comics Pals. Clearly, we are in rare form today. And uh, here to hopefully entertain, uh, Phil is entertaining himself. Not with the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can that's... keep the bucket, Kale. You don't have to pass that around. Oh my Ooh. god! Wow! All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna finger snap this bit. I I do wanna I do wanna let you guys know out there if this is your brand of humor. 
where you can find more. You can find the you can find the long box podcast uh, <laughs> over on. And may God have mercy on our souls. We are on most podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals. While you are there, make sure to leave us a like and a comment, letting us know that you enjoy our show. If you do, or if you don't, tell us that too. We we accept all feedback. Uh, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. And if you're checking this out on YouTube, thank you very much. Make sure to leave us a like, a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Our Shazam Book Club is out right now for you guys to check out. We had a blast doing that one. Uh, so go give that some love ahead of the movie's release, which is actually this Friday. Uh, in the episode, we learn how to do the floss dance uh, in preparation for the movie. The hell is that? That's that dance move that every kid does. Captain Marvel, I'm sorry, Shazam does it in the trailer for the movie. Oh. You're out of time. You're out of touch with the times, my friend. Phil, Apparently, Phil is very connected with the youth culture. Yeah. Even that's disturbing, but apparently everyone else on the podcast is too. Nobody knew what the hell you were talking about. Yeah, you know, the backpack kid. Yeah, the backpack kid. Who the hell was that? He did the plus. During a Katy Perry music video. Swish, swish, bish, I think. Okay, so uh, we're going to start the show off with some listener mail today. And uh, we've got a little mail from our good old friend, Ryan. Oh, I'm going to go take a coffee break. No, dear, not right now. This is the good part of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) This is why you're number five, Kale. So Ryan writes in and says, Hi, guys. It's been a while, but I'm still here. To 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 paraphrase Kate Winslet's character in Titanic, I'll never let go, pals. I'll never let go. Anyway, Jonathan Hickman, I was screaming in my head as I listened to you guys talk about him because I had some things to say and I lamented I couldn't be there for the discussion. Funny story, the Black Monday Murders was actually the third of four Hickman stories I started and dropped midway through. The others were East of West, which I lapped up quite vigorously when it first came out, the Manhattan Project, which I dropped midway through the third arc, and his Avengers run, of which I read the first volume and never continued for no reason in particular. The good news is I'm picking up where I left off on his Avengers run. Maybe I can catch up in time for the Infinity Book Club. Moving on, I have a recommendation for all fans of crime comics, Violent Love by Frank Barbary and Victor Santos. Maybe you guys know it already, but if not, I encourage you to seek it out. It's a Bonnie and Clyde type tale, crime with romance mixed in. It felt as if these guys got inside my head and figured out exactly what kind of story I wanted to read, and I hope everyone else likes it as much as I did. I will second that recommendation because it is very, very good. Uh, A cool action comic, definitely a lot of crime, and... Uh, super action packed. Like there's always something going on in an issue, so I'd recommend it a lot. I definitely remember you talking about Frank Barbary and Victor Santos. I don't know if it was for Violent Love, but I remember you name dropping them in the past. It might have been a trade release, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so he says, and I guess that's it for now. Have a good week, guys. Sincerely, Ryan. P.S. Ryan hits us with a little random question of the week. Oh. Honey, this. Honey, this movie's so loud. <laughs> <laughs> what other, and specifically this is just for Phil apparently, but what other comic book characters should Danny DeVito play and what would they sound like? 
Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, number one, they would sound like Danny DeVito. When you have a talent as prime as Danny DeVito, you don't have him do someone else's voice. Ah oh, man, I'm late for school. Shazam! <laughs> <laughs> now, right. hold so on. So is he playing Billy or is he playing Shazam? Because I, I watch either of those movies. Both, but my body doesn't change. <laughs> But right, I'm wait, a I lot more. I'm a lot more hairy as Shazam. We make it a sequel of. Is it Twins? Is that the movie yeah, with Danny yeah, DeVito yeah. And, and Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes. Arnold plays Shazam. Danny plays Billy. Boom. Uh, <laughs> I mean, between the two of us, which one is more super heroic? I don't know. What I'm thinking about, what comic book character I'd want to see Danny DeVito play? I think I'd like to see him play. Um. Bebop or Rocksteady? <laughs> what? <Either or. laughs> just the voice. Not physically, just the voice. I've arrived for my audition. <clears throat> Do you know what happened to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? The same <laughs> as everything else. <laughs> That's so random, man. Am I Storm now? Apparently. Uh, so, I did want to respond to a couple of things that you said. Um, it's funny that you referenced the Titanic, because I've been thinking about that movie a lot recently. Um, well, the Manhattan... Wait, why? <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry, everyone, shut up for a second. Why? I, I read a, a really long article about the Titanic and James Cameron and what a crazy uh, process it was to create that movie... And, uh, you know, how they had to hire all these, you know, no, no, like, offense, but they were literally Mexicans, um, to work for (laughs) extremely cheap, um, to keep the budget low, and, um, yeah. Keep the boat afloat. And Kate Winslet, like, almost died of hypothermia and all this kind of jazz, so it's an interesting story, but... Has your heart gone on? Um, yes. It's left Leonardo DiCaprio... Uh, many years since. Leomania, actually, is something that I was swept up by. But. God damn. I just, I love the idea of, like, Sean as, like, a young, like, he's, like, 12 years old and his his bedroom is just littered with Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio, like, posters or, like, cutouts from magazines and stuff. He's, like, deep in on that Leomania. Hell no. (laughs) Uh, in any event, I have a similar trajectory with Jonathan Hickman as you, Ryan, just in the sense that um, I did stop and start, start and stop, rather, with uh, Black Monday Murders and um, Manhattan Projects. I couldn't get into Manhattan Projects. I, I was really hyped for it. Couldn't do it, though, when it actually came out. It was really interesting, but for some reason, I just couldn't, you know, get invested. S.H.I.E.L.D., same way with S.H.I.E.L.D., um... Black Monday Murders was really good. I fell off with it because of its release schedule. But obviously Avengers, I stuck with. The Infinity Book Club, though, glad you mentioned it. Uh, you guys are absolutely going to want to tune in for that one. That's our next book club. And um, I think we had a great time talking about that, um, You know, putting that recording together. So hopefully you guys enjoy it and agree. Uh, Mark, have you got that release date handy for me? Uh, it is... The 26th of April. 26th of April. 
Isn't that the same? That's the same day as Avengers comes out. No, it comes out May 3rd, no? Avengers no. comes yeah, out they, April. Yeah, they moved it up. Motherfucker. All right, it's coming out the 19th. Nice. All right. April 19th for the the Infinity Book Club. You guys are definitely not going to want to miss that one. Thanks for writing in, Ryan. We really appreciate it. Always good to hear from you, man. But we actually have more mail. Yeah, so this next one comes from um, some guy named Matt. Uh, it says, hey, guys, what are your thoughts on the theory that in Avengers Endgame, Thanos is finally defeated by Ant-Man crawling into his butt and expanding? It's not really what happens in the comics, but I like the modern spin on it. Thanks. Sincerely, the Longbox Podcast. Gang, gang. He stole this from a tweet, by the way. Um, I mean, that's like literally like the entire internet is obsessed with this question right now. Well, well you, right now, guys, but also have you like... Guys not seeing the video? Well, the video, yeah, is amazing. But uh, Paul Rudd also answered the question right after Ant-Man and the Wasp came out. Like some... Some press guy brought it up to uh, uh, brought it up to him in the middle of the interview. Uh, Phil is actually holding up the video. We're, just, we're watching the video, and we're right now. watching it, and uh, it's <laughs> pretty funny. I, I haven't seen this before. <laughs> For those of you at home, it's just it's just Paul it's just Paul Rudd going up Josh Brolin's ass and blowing him up when he goes big. Now, I I would like you to. Uh, restate what's happening in the video and not accuse these poor actors of what you just <laughs> accused them of. <laughs> well, it's Paul Rudd and uh, uh, it looks like he goes up Josh Brolin's butt and blows him up. I also right. need you to let me out to use the restroom. No, this is the best part, clearly. <laughs> this is the most important scene in the movie. Uh, what are my thoughts on the theory? Uh, I think it's exactly what I would do if I were Ant-Man. I've always been bothered by the fact that Ant-Man's, like, the most powerful Avenger, right? Um, and so is Wasp, for that matter. Like, they could just go inside you and you die. <laughs> and, Wasp, and, and Wasp is way scarier than Ant-Man. She has actual talent. She can yeah. fly. <laughs> you know how easy it is to fly up someone's butt? She can it's also, like release those those you know venom blasts or whatever wasp blasts or whatever they're called and just like murder you so I yeah do, i do i do not fuck with a wasp now one one problem uh i have with this theory just one <laughs> i mean the the main one thanos is an alien right. he might oh. not have a he may he may not have a thanos <laughs> a thanos <laughs> Nice one. Honey, can can you move down in the seat or something? (laughs) (laughs) The best part about that (laughs) is that (laughs) when Marco laughed, I saw his, like, image pop up on my screen, and it's just him with, like, a basically finished glass of wine, just like, This is Marco's equivalent of uh, stay-at-home mom <laughs> watching her soaps, drinking wine, eating bonbons. I want to just point out, it's been 15 minutes since I threw Marco under the bus for drinking wine, and he's already almost done with this glass. <laughs> My dude is throwing it back. 
It's a good wine. Before, I'm, I'm here. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the antics. It's, it's fun. I, I I like this question. It's it's been well noted that I'm into butt stuff. So I'm I'm good with this question. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm all about the ass. So oh I mean, yeah, I'd watch totally it. fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, our ratings are going up. <laughs> the, live ticker, the live ticker. The live ticker. The live ticker. Shooting up. Is shooting up somehow, not unlike Paul Russ going into Josh Brolin's <laughs> butt oh, and blowing him up. We need like a we need a PG version of this show or something. This is insane. Uh, thanks for writing in, Matt. Always appreciate it, buddy. Uh, and go listen to Long Box Podcast, but only after you're done listening to this podcast. You don't have to. So, jeez, you know why can't we ever just do an, a genuine, honest plug? And let it go. The long box guys, you know. Because the long friends. box guys like getting plugged. So it's like, why? <laughs> that, good wine, huh, bud? Good wine, That's... man. Okay. Let's 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 move on to the palace bowls. <laughs> so for Marco, we've got Mirror number 10. Uh, Mirror is a series that I had picked up back in 2016. And it was super frantic with its release schedule. It's an image book by uh, Emma Rios and Hui uh, Lei. Um, I apologize for mispronouncing your name. Um, oh, Kel, Kel, you try. I only heard it, Lee Wee. <laughs> Hui, Hui, so Emma, Emma Rios, who's uh, also the I believe, artist on Pretty Deadly, and she also does some stuff off the Island magazine from uh, Image. And then Hui Lim uh, just like has done some indie stuff. And... Basically, this book is the story of godlike animal creatures who become lesser, so they're not godlike. They just become normal animals who can then talk and communicate with humans. The humans enslave them to drain their magic, and then there's like this giant war that ensues on this meteorite uh, where all of these like creatures live, and it's fucking dope. It's all watercolored, so it's really, really uh, like beautiful, beautiful from a just an artistic um, perspective and I don't know I'm I'm into this series if you like weird space uh, animals that can talk like this is a good book for you nice what uh, what is it again it's called mirror mirror sweet yeah this is issue number 10 the first two trades are no the first trades collected the second trades coming out in June of this year I'm on it it's really good with wine, you grade it on a point scale. How many points out of 100 would you give this, Marco? With what? When you grade wine, they grade it on like a point scale out of 100. Uh, how would you grade this title on a point scale out of Sean, 100? Sean, you can go next. All right. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, Marco, I was going to ask you a question. Uh, are you reading Unnatural? I'm not. I I'm, I waited for the trade, so... Because I, I knew what it was about, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to wait for, like, to read this as a thing, as a, a complete book. Well, the first trade's out. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, so pick that up. It's good stuff. Um, so from Phil, we've got Green Lantern number six. Yes. Um, if you guys haven't been keeping up with Green Lantern, it's been great. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to spoil too much, but for some reason, Hal Jordan is confronted with the situation of having to kill... Uh, a character I know Marco has been wanting to read a lot more of, Adam Strange. Hell yeah. Uh, which is uh, one of my favorite uh, underutilized pulpy uh, DC space characters who had a really great role in 52. Um, 
So, uh, Grant's been killing it, obviously. Uh, I'm excited to see some Adam Strange. Green Lantern took a crazy turn. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> this is, uh, with, without saying too much, uh, didn't see it going this way, but I'm I'm in, I'm strapped in. It's a hell of a toboggan ride. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. We might have to revisit this book once it's all done. Yes, uh, hell yeah, that'd be a fun thing to do for the book club, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So from Kill, we've got Young Justice number four. Yeah, I don't want to belabor the point. It's uh, Young Justice. It's back. Um, I really like what I've read so far. It's uh, Bendis, and uh, I believe Peter Tomasi's still on it. I think that is changing soon. I think I've seen the solicits have uh, put a different artist on uh, later on, but um, I think it's still Tomasi for now. You mean Patrick Gleason? Yeah, sorry. Tomasi is sorry. a writer. Sorry, sorry. I get them confused because yeah. they were on Batman and Superman for so long they might as well be the same person uh just no, like uh, us dear <laughs> uh uh gleason it's gleason yeah. yes patrick gleason, gleason. There. yep cool and then you also chose rocco's modern life afterlife number one. Oh, cool i saw this i really wanted to check it out that's the uh reaction i also had um i've also <laughs> i've also weirdly had the rocco's modern life theme song stuck in my head for the past few days um and i don't know why how does that go um rocco's modern life rocco's modern, modern life. life oh baby oh baby oh baby <laughs> but this Very is nice. uh it's uh, I wrote down who it was written by, Sean, can you... Anthony Birch. Okay, apparently this guy, uh, the credit on the website that I get this stuff from uh, was credited on writing uh, Borderlands 2. Oh, huh. Yeah. That's cool. So, really yeah. interesting. All right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, interested to see, uh, see what he's got in store. And Ian McGinty has um, done a lot of these types of books he may have been on the last Rocco spinoff uh, I'm not 100% sure but um, he's tremendous it's sad that Rocco died is it <laughs> he was a real one um, <laughs> pour one out yo Marco pour one out for the homie <laughs> nah, that was a good wine <laughs> what's it called again what's the wine called Syrah Syria. <laughs> Pour out a little bit of Syria for my man Rocco. Oh man! Uh, and so Yo, then, real talk. It's not yeah. funny. His comic book store was one of the seven percent that was closed down last year. Okay. Oh, what a bummer! Avenge the fallen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's really sad. So I chose uh, <laughs> kind of a lot of comics. <laughs> I chose War of the Realms, number one, which is nice. finally starting. I mean, if you haven't been following the story that Jason Aaron has been telling um, for the last, oh my God, what's it been like? Five, six, six years? years? Yeah. yeah. Uh, then you probably don't realize how long in the making this is. But he's been teasing this since basically the start. And it's all finally coming to a close, which is really, really cool. Uh, it's him and Russell Donnerman uh, who are on this book together. 
Thor has been through the ringer over the last few years. I mean, you think about it. Um, he lost his powers. Uh, Jane Foster became Thor, and that was a whole saga. Uh, Thor is back and kind of redeemed himself. He lost his arm along the way at some point. He became did un- not know that. <laughs> yeah, he became unworthy. That's rough. So yeah, a great big gold one now. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, we're we're at the end of of that particular run. So I'm hyped, and uh, it's coming out next week. So uh, really cool that that's finally. Sean, can happened. you re- can you uh, remind us the like the premise of it? Okay, so basically, uh, there are the nine realms, which I think anybody who's familiar with Thor on any level is aware of, and uh, there's been a war that's been sort of brewing. Um, Oh, God. What's the name of that villain? Oh, jeez. I'm blanking hard. Uh, oh, he's, Loki. No, he's the <laughs> he's the villain of, of uh, the second Thor movie, The Dark World. Malekith. Yeah, thank you. Malekith. Um, he he kind of start, started this whole thing um, and just went through and destroyed all the realms. And they're all, you know, raised except for uh, Earth. Earth realm. And so now oh, that's convenient. Yeah, all the all the heroes have to band together to stop Malekith and his crew from tearing Earth apart. And yeah, that's the that's I'm, the idea. I'm excited for that tie-in issue being written by the McElroy boys. Yeah, there's it's also a tie-in. Dope. There's a tie-in being written by uh, Brian Edward Hill too, uh, which is exciting. Oh, so yeah, there's, I saw there. Oh, someone, someone else that's sort of unconnected to the industry's writing a tie-in. I can't remember who it is now. Damn it. Um, but it's someone weird. <laughs> wow, that's someone that, weird. <laughs> that that this segment has changed over time. It used to be Kale can't pronounce a name. Now it's Kale can't remember a name. That's what happens when you get old. That's right. Listen, I've got a piece so bad. Can you please wait? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, cool. Let's jump into the news, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna start in a, in a place I don't think I ever th- I don't think I would have ever said this before. Uh, Marvel is courting Angelina Jolie. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so- <laughs> Pete, Pete, why don't you tell us how you would court Angelina Jolie? That is for Miss Jolie to no fuck. That's for me to know and Miss Jolie to find out. Is what I meant to say. She's she's not interested. You fucked that up for some reason. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was my shot. That was my one shot right there. You know, she's obviously a regular listener of this podcast, or Obvi, maybe yeah. she's got Google alerts on. Who knows? What do you, I mean, what do you think, I mean, listen, you, not anymore. No. Well, what, do you, what do you think Marco got his wine from? Syria. Syria. <laughs> Probably like wine wine club or whatever that app is. Wine club. Uh, okay. Nope, a store. So, shocking. So, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Angelina Jolie is in talks to actually star in The Eternals, believe it or not. Uh, no word on exactly what role she would be playing, but um, obviously they have big plans for this movie, uh, and they're looking to hire an A-list. I mean, she's, she's one of the biggest stars of all time i would say and uh maybe not as much recently but definitely one of the biggest ever and for them yeah to, you know good 
Oh, no, I was going to say, she's. I feel like she's been focusing on directing for a while and doing a lot of more, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with your assessment, at least of our generation. She's, like, you know, she's one of those few actresses that was, like, really a household name for, you know, over a decade. Well, she wasn't Kung Fu Panda three. She's kind of she's kind of like the the act an actor who, for me, kind of feels like might overshadow a role. Like it's like Angelina Jolie playing the character versus this character being played by Angelina Jolie. Yeah, yeah it kind of reminds me of the conversation we had about Tom Cruise playing Wolverine. Yeah. Of like well, she's a little like too famous, maybe. That I don't necessarily that I don't necessarily agree with, but I I, I bet she'll be someone similar to like Kate Blanchett. Um, in oh, Thor Ragnarok, okay. yeah, that's true. There are there are opportunities for her to play a variety of different characters because there are so many characters associated with the Eternals, like um, the Nutty Professor. <laughs> yes, much like the Nutty Professor. I on its face, this is cool. I I like her, and I think she you know she's pretty well liked overall, but. Um, she hasn't done much acting of late. I actually thought that she would have made a great. Um, you 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 mentioned it. Uh, she would have made a great Hela in Thor Ragnarok. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I know in October the sequel to uh, Maleficent will come out, which stars her. So there is that. So that'll be the right. the exact same role. Just you know, a woman with great big horns and you know, kick some ass and. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why everyone wanted her to play Hela, I guess, because because she was like, oh, they're the same thing. So I think I think I'd like to see her play a villain more than a, a hero. Um, I feel like she's she's like got that. She, there's like a real intensity to her, you know. And I feel like she's she's really good at playing characters that are like, I don't know, like kind of, I don't know, like imposing isn't necessarily the right word, but just like. When they announced that she was playing Maleficent, I was like, that's a perfect casting. And I think she could similarly bring that level of energy to like uh, to an antagonist, for sure. Hey, hey, Pete, tell us a little more about what you like about her. Well, Phil, uh, you know, she's a really talented actress. Uh, uh-huh. Smart as a whip. Um, you know, she's she's an <laughs> adopted mother. That's pretty cool, you know. Does a lot do of you, philanthropy. Why do you sound like a coach? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what coaches sound like. She's got a good hustle out there, you know. I really like her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, she hasn't been putting points up on the board lately, but you know, she's an all star. She's the kind of player you can build a, a franchise around. I've got a little pop quiz for you guys. Uh, Angelina Jolie, the, if she were to be cast, it would not be her first comic book film. What was her first comic book film? Uh, hmm. Well, sir. Huh? Uh, obviously that famous Anaconda movie. <laughs> oh my god, Anaconda. Oh, that was um, a good movie. I'm trying to think. All, I'm getting stuck on Tomb Raider right now. Yeah, same. Alright, you guys have five more seconds. Uh, what's another? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. No. All right. So her first comic book movie was actually Wanted. Wanted. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh my God, I forgot idiot. about that movie. Well, if you knew it, Carol, why didn't you say it? Uh, who do you think I'm calling an idiot? How <laughs> to keep it down? I'm trying to pee. <laughs> We're trying to watch a movie, Kale. 
So that's not the only news surrounding the Eternals. Uh, this week's just been a little bit of a of a of a dump for that film. Uh, Hercules is actually rumored to be the main character of the Eternals movie. That uh, is wild. Yeah, that rumor is coming from that hashtag show. They suggested that a Greek god would be one of the main characters in the film, uh, and then MCU Cosmic. Um, backed up that statement by saying that Hercules would be one of the main characters within the movie. Real talk, Hercules in a movie is the only genuine chance of getting Batman Brave and the Bold Aquaman on yeah. screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really think this uh, this character decision could uh, could go the distance. Is there something I'm missing? Uh, well, he's just like Aquaman from Batman Brave and the Bold. He's outrageous! You know? Uh, you would have been a really good uh, Hercules, but he's not quite big enough, but maybe he could have been. Uh, Chris Pratt, he would have really killed that role, I think. I see that. Mm. I totally see that. Yeah, I could see that. I'm trying to think of, like, who else who else in, like, Hollywood right now could nail that. I mean, I it wouldn't be uh, out of the realm of possibility, I think, to get... Uh, Henry Cavill to, um, <laughs> oh, to, shit. to, you know, to jump off that same kingship and uh, actually show some range. Hmm. Well, that's good. That's that'd be rad as hell. I'd be down for that. That'd be he, cool. He would because... go. He would go straight from zero to hero. <laughs> Just like that, Kale. Just like that, Disney Hercules is basically a Superman movie, and I'm I'm just li- I love everything that's happening right that's now. That's the gospel horrible. truth, my man. Oh, look at him go! Wow, you're fucking right, Phil. I never thought about that. You're so right. Yeah, Meg is Lois Lane. Meg is Lois Lane. What the? And fuck? Danny DeVito's in it. And Danny DeVito <laughs> as Superman's adopted father. <laughs> so and now I'm Hercules. I guess I didn't know this, or you, you know, if if you guys know something, I don't know. Let me know. Hercules is an eternal. Uh, no. Yeah, I've never <laughs> known that connection. I was looking he, that up. He is a Greek god. Right. And the Eternals were made by the Celestials. Right. It wasn't making sense to me, but uh, okay. They're gonna switch some shit up, I guess. I, yeah, I guess we'll have to uh, dive into that uh, Eternals, the Neil Gaiman's uh, Eternals for a book club. We'll, now that sounds fucking cool. Learn, learn a thing or two. <laughs> Read a yeah, book. Yeah, I, I don't really know much about the Eternals. <laughs> now, let me throw an idea out there. Angelina Jolie as Hercules. Oh. Fucking all right. You know what? I like it. All right. I, I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I really... I can't think of anybody else who I think I'd really want to see as Hercules, but that sounds fun. I mean, like, I'm not super familiar with the Marvel Hercules, but, like, he's been in a lot of events that I've read, and he's definitely, like, a fun character. He'd certainly bring a different energy to the MCU. There's a uh, there's an AU where they, uh, or Hercules and uh, Wolverine are gay and in love. Hell yeah. And what? it's the best, and I would be all about seeing that on the screen. What's an AU? Alternate, Alternate Universe. Universe. 
Is it like? Is yeah, like can a, you even fucking read comic books? <laughs> Do you mean like like a canonical one, or is this like some weird fanfic that you? No, read? no, no. This is this. Uh, <laughs> I have to question. I have to look it up, but it, it is uh, it is in an event. Apparently, apparently, Hercules is uh, is a gay character. He is bi. Yeah, he's not straight. Oh, is he? Um, yeah. Uh, extreme X Men. I was just gonna say the thing the, the way Thor has evolved in the MCU is very Hercules like. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, he's kind of taken that role a little bit. The saddest thing about this news, though, is that Hercules will not will likely not get to share the screen with Captain America, who, if you've ever read a comic with Hercules in it before, is like Hercules is like uh, he idolizes <laughs> Captain America. That's kind of funny that a Greek god idolizes a human in the way that he does, and. Um, We'll probably you can do that in the movie. That. You can, but I don't think Captain but, America's going to be around anymore. No, I think that's a great idea. Where's Cap? Oh, he's not around. Ah! <laughs> what the hell? Like, Hercules, like, steps up because he's like, yo, like, my hero, Captain America, is gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving right along. It's we kind of like that bit in... Uh, from where our truth on SmackDown was like John Cena is my childhood hero. <laughs> <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a deep uh, deep wrestling joke that you only get if you watch current product, and you probably don't. So, thanks. <laughs> uh, Marvel has officially announced what it is that Jonathan Aikman will be doing for the X Men. Uh, we talked about that last week, and Bleeding Cool actually. I don't know who it is that that is spoiling things over at Marvel to Bleeding Cool, but they knew exactly what was going on. Um, Last week, we talked about how the presentation of whatever it was that Jonathan Aikman would be working on would feature them talking about it in the league of some of the more classic X-Men runs. And that's exactly what Marvel did. They showed slides of, you know, Grant Morrison's run and Giant Size and all that kind of good stuff. And then they announced that... Jonathan Hickman would be working on House of X as one series and Powers of Ten as another series. Uh, so it's Powers of X, but the X is actually the Roman numeral. So it's, um, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. They haven't said, I'm sure, you know, we'll find out once we get to it. But uh, Jonathan Hickman is really excited about this. He actually said um, at C2E2 that this is the first piece of work he's done where it didn't feel like work. He said he was proud of all his prior work for Marvel, but that it all felt like work. This was the first series that he actually loved before he started working on it, and that he grew up a fan of DC, but the only thing he liked out of Marvel was the X-Men. So, if Jonathan Hickman did what he did with the Avengers without loving them, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with the X-Men if he does love them. It's funny because I think last week we were talking about how much Jonathan Hickman would be appropriate for the Justice League. And here he is saying, oh, I read a lot of DC growing up, so that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's it's high time that the X-Men are relevant again. I mean, this was the highest selling comic book ever. Uh, in the 90s and after Morrison's run it just the quality and 
the interest just gradually subsided increasingly every year. Um, I think this is a this is a great opportunity to, you know, restore interest in the X Men uh, with you know the family, the brand coming back to the House of Mouse. I I, I agree. Like it's uh, in what I've read of the X Men like the past couple of years was like. I, I I love the X Men as well, and I want to continue to support it and jump in where I can. But a lot of the times, it's been post events, it's been post stuff that like is confusing if you haven't been reading it. And a lot of the times, it's also like not really a like a great story. Like the stuff that with Cullen Bunn wasn't the the best things. Like the most recent stories were like all right. Um, so a writer like. Hickman with his caliber like I I hope can reinvigorate this series because it's one that to your point fellas is just lost it's like pizzazz over time it's just it's not it doesn't have the same kind of energy anymore I would argue that uh, the last relevant X-Men run I'm not counting Bendis because Bendis didn't he didn't do anything Um, but the last time that they were really hot was when Joss Whedon had him I was gonna say yeah yeah, it was uncanny that was astonishing. 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 Uncanny was the after that. Um Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're totally right, Sean. And like that was like what, ten years ago now? Like longer. Oh, more than that. It's yeah, like that was like two thousand four. Yeah, but but even with that book, which was hot, it had uh some of the worst releasing uh, of any book ever. That was bad, yeah. Yeah, was, there's like a lot of delays, right? This this is a book that took like four years to release the the uh, all of it, and it's not that many issues. Yeah, I think I feel like issue thirteen or whatever was like the the final issue of of that story arc, and it took like years to to finally figure out what the hell was going on. So so even though there was a lot of anticipation and uh, praise for it, like even that lost steam just because of its release schedule. Right. Mm. So yeah, I mean the point is that like there hasn't been a great X-Men run really since well arguably since the 90s since and 2000 2001. Right, like the nah. only other good one the or the only other like story like celebrated one had a number of problems when it was relevant, like when it was modern. And yeah man, I think it's especially ironic that the X-Men have fallen out of favor now because everybody, you know, wants to, not everybody, I shouldn't say, but douchebags want to criticize Marvel for, like, trying to be inclusive and, like, having all these characters who are, like, people of color or, you know, like, just characters that are not straight white men. And, like, the X-Men is where prior to... The, the modern era of Marvel, like, that's where almost every character that falls under any one of those categories, like, existed. It's like, you think that, like, with their current, like, I don't know, like, it, the, the direction that it seems like they want to take their books, like, you know, to be appealing to, like, anybody, you know, anybody who wants to read a superhero, there's a superhero for you, like... So for so long, the X Men was that book. Yeah, that that's absolutely true, and I think that the X Men would be more relevant, and people would flock to the books if Marvel gave them a reason to. And it seems like now they are. So very happy to see that. 
Shazam is doing really, really well uh, with reviewers. The movie has screened for critics, and everybody loves it. Uh, This movie is hot right now. It's doing fantastically on Rotten Tomatoes. 93% fresh rating after 81 contributions from critics. That's not fans. Wow. No embargo there, huh? (laughs) Right. Um, that's, that's really high praise. DC's fucking confident in this movie. Like, I remember literally I accidentally was like, oh, guys, don't forget, we got to see Shazam this week because I had already seen so many people talking about it. I was like, oh, it must be out next week. It's like, nope, two weeks from now. Damn. Like, they, they are proud of this one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so comicbook.com reviewed it and, uh, this, this line really struck me. Uh, by the time Shazam comes to an end, moviegoer, moviegoers will definitely know this hero's name and be eager to hear it shouted many more times. This might just be the most fun audiences have at the movies this year, and it's proof that DC has another major winner on its hands. Shazam is, quite simply, lightning in a bottle. Love wow. it. Glowing praise. Yeah. Dude, I... I've been high on this movie for a long time. Like, I think it was the first trailer was the thing that really finally turned me. But, like, I've been, like, championing for this movie for a while now because I thought it was going to be good. It looks fun. It looks, like, very, uh... It it just looks like it's going to be a good time. And, like, it's going to have that lighthearted kind of jovial vibe that, um, that I you know, talked about when we did review John's run on Shazam for the new 52, which obviously is a huge influence on this. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm all in for this movie. I'm really excited about it. It's probably the superhero movie. I've been the most excited for, for a while. My star power is what's bringing butts to the seats. What, what hot blooded, warm blooded American doesn't want to shout a magic word and resemble me. Me. Uh, I was very lukewarm on Shazam from the first trailer. I thought it looked a little cheap, but I'm actually really happy to hear that the movie's good because I do like Shazam a lot, and I want that character to have, you know, an opportunity for people to see him and, and, you know, for people to enjoy him like I have in the comics. So this is super, super cool. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Um, could be good, you know? <laughs> Hot take. Thanks. All right. So DC Universe. We heard a lot about the streaming service, DC streaming service at WonderCon, which is currently ongoing. We are right in con season right now. There is just so much news. Uh, so we learned a few things about DC Universe, including when several of their upcoming shows will release. Oh now, boy. the one I'm going to lead off with is something that I think Marco will like quite a bit. Uh, because they we finally announced know- a detective chimp show? No. Oh, oh shit. Damn, no, I know. Damn. That, would, that would be very good. <laughs> <laughs> we now know that Swamp Thing will be coming into our homes, well, Marco's home, 
uh, May 31st, 2019. Marco, the the floor is yours. Just gush. Uh, I'm excited for this. It's, it's been a, it's been a series that has been pulling from all the good horror shit that makes Swamp Thing what it is. It's, uh, there's mentions of, I'm just going to read from what, um, one of the showrunners, Gary Dowerman, says, uh, he goes, we've always set out to make Swamp Thing as hard R as we could and go graphic with the violence with the adult themes and make it as scary as possible. Because we're doing it through the DC streaming service, they really pushed us, although they didn't have to push hard for us to go as extreme as we could. We really took our inspiration from the Alan Moore run in Swamp Thing, this landmark, uh, this landmark, I think. Uh, fans will get fans of that series will know it gets pretty weird and extreme and scary and we really want to live up to that standard for more setup back in the 80s so this that being the basis dope. like this being the basis i have really well i have high expectations but i don't think that i'm gonna get burnt on them just based off the talent that's working on this james wan's involved a bunch of people from daredevil they've been brought in so I have high hopes. I think it's going to be a good show, especially based off the stuff I've seen in Doom Patrol and Titans. Like the stuff's gotten like better. So that that comparison to Doom Patrol, especially when they're talking about that hard R, is on on point. Yeah, I, people like, will I, not stop telling me how good Doom Patrol is either. The pi- the for me the pilot episode of Doom Patrol was better than the whole of Umbrella Academy. Damn. <laughs> so. Did you actually finish Umbrella Academy? Yeah, yeah, I fucking did. <laughs> was did, was it good? It was fine, but it wasn't the first episode of Doom Patrol for sure. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, no, I it's good. It's gonna be something that I think ha- comes in with a lot of like love and intention. So I I hope that shows through. Are you I'm gonna excited. make your Are you gonna make your girlfriend watch it with you? Nah, she's uh, she was okay with Doom Patrol. She's like, more something. You've tried to show me the comics. I don't know if I'm about it. <laughs> Damn, that's fucking harsh, dude. Wow. I wonder. I wonder if we should watch it uh, all together because we might get to see Marco cry like he did when uh, when he got that commission from Plaid Klaus. <laughs> well, that's true. He cried. Shout out I to didn't Plaid know Klaus. That. Do you, yeah. do you not remember that? No. If if Marco wants to give me access to his DC Universe account, then I'm all in. I think we only have two people, two or three people at the same time, so I might only have one more. We'll set we the can, schedule. We'll we the can schedule make that work. Time. There's yeah. uh, there there's apps. We can make that work. <laughs> there's apps. <laughs> I like how we're Here's the real thing, guys. Ways. Why don't Why don't we just get a subscription and write it off for the business? We could do that. We have because we, we don't make money to be able to write things off. <laughs> that you get the money back. That's how it works. All right, cool. Uh, All I know is the oh, R is that shit. <laughs> I'm never gonna get to talk on this fucking podcast. Wow. <laughs> oh man, now I really want to say what I have to say. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna say the R is not the only thing that's gonna be hard around here. After Mark that watches was, that, that was really not. I'm that not was a not fan. worth it. <laughs> all, right, all right, guys. All right. Can can Sean talk now or shut the fuck up? What I wanted to say was that uh, Marco, the premise here actually sounds really awesome. It says uh, mm-hmm. the series follows Abby Arcane as she investigates what seems to be a deadly swamp-born virus 
in a small town in Louisiana, only to soon discover that the swamp holds mystical and terrifying secrets. That sounds really, really cool to me. Shit, that does sound really good. <laughs> and yeah. it's gonna it. be it's gonna be based off the first run uh of the Alan Moore stuff. So the first like two trades, if you guys want to sort of get a context for that, it's really, really good. I'm I genuinely want to watch this. No no BS. I, I yeah. might have to figure out a way to do that. I mean, everything else from DC, the DC Universe app has been like quality. So I, I'd recommend this. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely down to like do a trial and try to bang it all out, you know? So there were other announcements, speaking of the quality of uh, the DC Universe app. Yeah, but those don't matter. You know what? I, I'm not going to say that I disagree, but this is my job. So um, they also showed some imagery from the uh, Stargirl series uh, that's upcoming. They showed Stargirl and a massive, what is this, like a massive robot behind yeah, us? Yeah, Stripes. Stripes, yeah. And it. I got to say, like, this looks pretty cool if i i i'm excited for star girl um it's got a lot of really cool people in it uh joel McHale is in it um oh really I think, uh, yeah. the other wilson luke luke wilson i yeah. think he's in it yeah. yeah cool um the thing about what came out this weekend at WonderCon is i i think they've released a poster or something of of just Stargirl in, in the uniform and with the, the cosmic mm-hmm. rod and everything. Yep. Um, and that poster looks bad. You think this looks well, bad? Well, I like it. Yeah. No, I, I, to me, it looks like uh, a Photoshopped porn cover. Like, I don't think it looks good at all. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I thought it looked a little bit, like, sketchy as well. Well, there's a detail you guys are missing. So, the first ever comic book that Jeff Johns ever wrote was Stars and Stripes, or I think it was called that, which was a uh, Stripes and Stargirl book. Um, Jeff John's sister died in a plane crash, and he based Stargirl off his sister, who had just recently passed away. It's a really good book. Oh, wow. In case you didn't know, this show is being written and produced by Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, let me counter that with, I did know all of that. What does that have to do with the fact that the poster looks like a porn cover? I'm just, saying, I'm just saying the show is probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. Po- Neither po- of us said that the show, show would be bad. We said the poster was not good. Similar to how when they we saw the first look at Captain Marvel's costume, and I was like, that doesn't look very good, but then I liked the movie. <laughs> the, very, the very first thing I said, the very first thing I said uh, when I started talking in this segment he doesn't remember. Give him a second. No, there's a, there's there was a car. Well, that's the, not as funny as what I said. <laughs> the very first thing I said when I started this segment was, "I'm very excited about this show." I don't so, know. I fucking try again, Phil. I hear and that. Let me up to go to the bathroom. No, dear, your blood pressure. Watch it. <laughs> I hear all that, but I think this looks like fire. And uh, I don't know much about Stargirl at all. The fact that there's a giant robot behind her is very cool. 
you got like, this. yo, I'll watch this girl with a magic spear fucking kill a bunch of robots. That's I don't cool. even know that she's gonna kill it. I think they're gonna hang no. out. Like, yeah, like this. The, yeah, the, dude. The the story of the robot is it's her uncle who go. He wants to protect her because she's you know dedicated to going out and being Star Girl. So he builds this giant robot to go out and like be her sidekick. Huh. All right, Jeff Johns. <laughs> Uh, right. Sean, in case you weren't slow enough, uh, my friend, uh, my dad who works at DC, uh, he says there's going to be a lot of gorillas in the show, too. <laughs> oh, do they talk? Yeah, dude. Awesome, man. <laughs> no, nah, this is another show where I'm, like, I'm excited. I see this. I hear what uh, what Phil said. and I mean, not about the gorillas. About but- the gorillas? <laughs> 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 But uh, yeah, I, I I very much am looking forward to this show. So that's two for two. And then uh, what else did they talk about? They had, they had a few things to say. Uh, they talked about some some announcements for animated stuff, Justice League vs. Fatal Five, which is uh, going to debut on April 16. Um, so that's cool, I guess. Uh, they're also getting the Krypton show on April 5th. Um, is that on sci-fi? That was on sci-fi? Yeah, yeah. Oh, did, cool. did they like? Did that get canceled or nope. what? They're just gonna. Cool. They're gonna add stream you know, it now. Yeah, you'll be able to stream. Oh, okay. it. Neat. I didn't know that that was still going on. I like forgot about that show. And then uh, we are still getting the Harley Quinn animated series, which is coming out in the fall of this year. Oh yeah, Titans right. is coming out season two, fall of this year. And then right. uh, Young Justice Outsiders, uh, the third, the thirteen episodes of the third season, right? Yeah. That's also gonna uh, wrap up here July second. They're doing outsiders. That's cool. That's really cool. I didn't know that's the angle they were going. Uh, yes and no. Uh, as with the other seasons of uh, Young Justice, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, and I can't I can't say too much more than that because I've only seen the the few episodes that they released on off the premiere. But um, what I know of the show, it's it's a lot more complicated than. Just oh yeah, we're doing the outsiders this time. Okay, all right. The big, the bigger news I think that kind of eclipses that stuff, at least in my mind, is that they're finally going to be allowing people to check out every comic that DC has published within one year of its publishing date. Meaning that if it came out today. You wouldn't be able to read it until this day in 2020, but everything before that will be available. That's, that's like a that's a huge deal. That's astonishing. That like makes it a way. And I, I said this when they first announced the damn thing was that even if it was like a six month gap or a year gap in this case, like they needed to have more comics and they needed to have like a more attractive library because now, like when it launched, I didn't think that there was really much. Like, it was a decent offering, but it was like, I I could not see spending $10 a month for this or $15 a month, whatever it is. But the more original shows they add to the docket that are, like, you know, noteworthy and people are talking about, great. That makes it more attractive. But having the library of everything DC has published prior to, like, literally what's on the shelf, like, right now is, like, that's a huge deal, especially if you're, like, a casual reader. Like... That's a way better fucking offer. So, Marco, you have the app. Uh, do you feel like you've gotten your money's worth? 
I think so. I mean, I, I usually gauge it by how much I can also share with Mariana. And hmm. so that makes it wor- more worth it because it's not just something for me, right? Like she, she was willing to watch Titans. She dug that. Uh, she was willing to watch Doom Patrol. She, she's enjoying it. Um, for some of the stuff that's coming out, I'm sure like season two for Titans, she's definitely going to want to watch because it continues that story. So I, I, I think I've gotten my money's worth, uh, especially with the pre-order, which came up with a bit of a discount. So I, I think so. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I, I do have to be a little bit critical though. This announcement and, and all these shows that they're announcing, it all screams that this app needed to come out this Later. year. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because if you had Titans, Swamp Thing, Stargirl, and every comic that they ever put out within one year of, of today's date, I would have subscribed that day. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. At least, at least to like check it out, you know. But like when it first dropped, I was like, I'm not wasting my free trial right now. Right, one show. Exactly, exactly right. And if it had been good, like, you know, who's to say, man? Like, maybe I'd still be subscribed. Yeah. Because like you look at it now, like what they're talking about now, it's basically the same as Marvel Unlimited, only they have original programming and all these other old school DC shows. That's such a fucking deal. <laughs> Listen, I don't know if you've ever tried to use Marvel Unlimited. The yeah, fact it's that not they, very good. <laughs> the fact that they announced DC Universe and it had something other than comics on it means it was better in theory than Marvel Unlimited. Fair. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. That app is hot garbage. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that now the DC Universe, at least in my mind, is a worthy purchase. And I, I'm really excited for Swamp Thing and Stargirl. The bonus is that I can also read any comic I want and don't have to yes. buy it. That's, the- that's incredible. The one recommendation I would say is don't obviously don't read the comics on the TV. Like, right. like the, you download the app and like you can just it, it, it's it makes it a like comic reader and then it makes it like a subscription to TV. Like making that separation and even though you can obviously like read comics or watch the show on either one, uh, it, it's cool. It makes it like super flexible. Can you just uh, he he's holding up his phone now? Can you just oh, like yeah. flick through that a little bit? I just want to see what it kind of looks like. It's just Very like nice. any other like. Like reading, yeah, it looks nice like a standard comic reader. Yeah, but if you need, if you want to, you can pop out, uh, and then you can start watching some kind of a show, and it's like split out between movies, TV, wow. comics in the center, uh, and then like any specific like DC stuff that you like. Man, reading comics on TV sounds almost as bad as playing the Nintendo Switch as a handheld. That's the literally the dumbest thing you've said on this show in 120-some-odd episodes. That's patently false. <laughs> no, I'm standing by it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying what Phil said oh, is you're patently agreeing false. With no, me. I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100 I'm, I'm with you. I've never... Pete, this might be the closest thing to actual friendship we will ever have. Because that, <laughs> wow. that was the craziest, out-of-left-field bullshit Phil could have pulled. Enjoy reading your comics on TV, guys. I just said we're not doing that.
So, uh, we have idiot. something. We have something to talk about that. Uh, uh, before, oh yeah, another idiot. Sorry, before we get that real quick. No, I, you I, can't go to the bathroom. God <laughs> damn it! Um, I do. I do want to uh, just put forward as well. I I'm curious as to how this will affect their comicsology and limited offerings. Huh. Uh, That's a good question. They they released a few titles and and it's only gotten better. Um, and I haven't I haven't looked you know in the past few weeks, but um, I'm I'm curious if if you know them releasing their whole digital library on the app will i can't imagine they'll move it over to comiXology but like i wonder you know down the line when people stop subscribing will they you know will they do it then will they i'm i'm curious as to how that's going to play out i would i would think yes uh, just not like on a fixed schedule like I think that's one of those things where it's very similar in my mind anyway to like a video game being multi-platform, you know, where it's like yeah, like it's great to own the DC app and get people activated on that monthly subscription model if you can, but if somebody wants to buy your books a la carte or get them from somebody else on a similar model where you're getting a comfortable cut, like you know, I don't. I don't know that comics publishers can afford to leave money on the table somewhere. That that does uh, <clears throat> remind me of something, though, that I did want to uh, bring up here. It ties into what we were just talking about regarding the DC app probably coming out too early. Is that it's actually been struggling to uh, bring in new subscribers, Fine. right? And yeah, because it that, has like no content. That really sucks, and it. It sucks because, look, I think I want to see the DC app succeed just because it's DC. And it sucks that a, what I feel personally was a boneheaded decision has led people like me who would want to have it to not get it. And it makes it look bad. Titans made the DC Universe app look bad. But that show is not bad. They, they really put together bad trailers that led people to believe it was going to be a crappy show. When you couple that with the fact that the offerings from, from the app didn't look great to start with, they weren't great. It wasn't enough. It made it look like a bad bet. And now, a year later, it's too late for there to be a first impression. I'm interested, but there's a lot of people that have written this off and will never think about it again. Mm. I would also point out the uh, the out of the U.S. Uh, offerings. Um, you can't you can't access it if you're not in the U.S. Oh, that's right. So that's probably why I, they license it to like Netflix and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly why Titans is on now. Um, and I assume Doom Patrol and Young Justice will come out after you know the season's finished. But you know that takes those people out of the the zeitgeist and. You know, you're you're missing a, a a whole world worth of subscribers, and I'm sure there are licensing and and you know streaming issues with all that. I I, I guess I understand that, but if you're just going to put it on Netflix, right? Just put it on Netflix anyway. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate. I I really really hope that they can turn the ship around, and it sounds like they're doing their best. So, 
you know, if there's anything more to talk about in the future, we will surely address it. Because uh, a healthy DC app is better for the industry. But uh, as I teased before, we do have something else to talk about that I think might be pretty controversial. Uh, Zack Snyder has... Oh, God. <laughs> Can I please? God. Yes, go, fill. go. Go to the bathroom. This this one... This no, one stress down. No, no, no. We all have to go through it. You do too. All right. Sorry, honey. I tried. Please stop making me sit in the middle of the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that guy won't let you go. Zack Snyder did an event called the Director's Cuts where he talked about uh, his director's cuts, the director's cuts of his films. Uh, specifically, he did talk about uh, Batman vs. Superman. Um, there were other movies, but for the sake of this conversation, we're going to stick to that and what he had to say about that and his overall opinions and thoughts about what he was doing over at DC. Now, there were a lot of things that he said that caused people to get riled up. I'm going to address first the thing that I think shook people the most. And I want to preface this by saying that I want to have an actual conversation about this. So it was, there was a Q&A portion, and it was actually this particular comment came during the uh, Watchmen portion. And uh, he, he was talking about how that film is the bridge point at which you can understand all his other movies. That it, it, it colors the way he thinks about film and about superheroes in particular. So he said... Right, because he doesn't understand them. Okay, let me finish. So he said, <laughs> someone says to me, Batman's... Uh, ben Affleck's Batman killed a guy. I'm like, F, really? Wake the F up. I guess... That's what I'm saying. Once you've lost your virginity to this movie, and there were a lot of expletives. I don't really feel like cursing today. Um, once you've lost your virginity to this movie, and then you come and say to me something about, like, my superhero wouldn't do that. I'm like, are you serious? I'm, like, down the road on that. It's a cool point of view to be like, my superheroes are still innocent. My heroes didn't lie to America. My heroes didn't embezzle money from their corporations. My heroes didn't commit any atrocities. That's cool, but you're living in a dream world. So that's what he had to say about that. Uh, but it didn't stop there. He talked a lot about his Justice League plans. Uh, he mentioned that a... Snyder Cut does exist for Justice League and that there were several versions and that DC has them all they just or Warner Brothers has them all they just chose not to use them he talked about what he originally would have done with uh Dark Side and his plans there uh he talks about you know what would have happened in the second movie he, he says the following and and I'll let you guys comment after I just want to get everything out he said, the truth is that the nightmare sequence in this movie, it was my idea that all of that would eventually be explained and that we would end up in a distant future where Darkseid has taken over Earth and where Superman has succumbed to the anti-life equation and there were a few members of the Justice League that survived to that world and that they were fighting Batman and a half-broken cyborg, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he goes on to say... Um, 
I was right here and Barry Allen came to me. This is Bruce talking. I was right here, Bruce Wayne. I was right here and Barry Allen came to me and he said, Lois Lane is the key. And then Wonder Woman goes, she is the Superman. Every heart has one. I think it's something more, something darker. So I'm not even going to read the rest of the quote. Essentially, he's saying that uh, the Nightmare World sequence was supposed to be a version of Superman who has succumbed to the anti-life equation after Lois Lane is murdered by Darkseid. That's basically what's going on there. Great. Uh, (laughs) Great. Uh, (laughs) The last thing I wanted to bring up before you guys comment is simply the part about uh, the the Martha sequence. Fuck. My God. And he says... Just when you thought his ideas couldn't be any fucking dumber. Here we go. He says... That's a tough one. We sort of were just throwing down on their humanity, and Batman realizes Superman has humanity. He's not just a creature, he's a man, he's an alien, but he is as human as, in a lot of ways, he's more human than him. He's sort of embraced all the good parts of the human race, and so Batman's able to sort of see, in a lot of ways, a thing that he is not. And I think that was how we started to talk about it. Uh, And then he goes on to talk about how Chris Terrio, the person who wrote the film with him one of the people uh mentioned how they both have the same name both their mothers and that was the sort of apex or that was the that was the the moment where they kind of realized oh wow these two are connected in a deeper way and that brought uh superman's humanity out to the forefront for bruce so what, what do you guys think about all of that Zack Snyder is an edgelord and a hack. For, okay, for <laughs> for like a half second when he's talking about Darkseid taking over the world and it's Batman and a half-broken cyborg fighting in this apocalypse, that, you know what? I'll give him credit. That sounds pretty cool. It's that he just, he just, he keeps going. <laughs> it's like... It's like, and and that's sort of the the thing about Zack Snyder is that he can paint these dope pictures, but this dude does not know character whatsoever. Phil, you sure said you sure you sure said a lot of nothing there. All right. Um. God, I just don't give a fuck about what this man thinks. I don't care what he wants to do or what he wanted to do. This man single-handedly tanked DC's movies for a solid few years there. Yeah, I mean, we're only just getting away from the ramifications of it now, right? Um, But for me, like, I made the joke when he said the thing of, like, oh, like, Watchmen is, like, how you can understand all my other films. And I, I remember, I don't remember if it was an article or a YouTube video that I, I read or watched over the last year or so that was kind of talking about Zack Snyder and the way that he approaches superheroes and why it's problematic. And he's talked a lot in interviews about how he never really liked superheroes until he read Watchmen, you know, and like, that's his superheroes. That's his baseline for superheroes. Cool. Great. Watchmen's awesome. Don't get me wrong. But... Watchmen is a deconstruction of superheroes. If your baseline for superheroes is a deconstruction of the genre, how can you possibly hope to present like 
a version of a character as fundamental to like what a superhero is as Superman in a way that feels authentic, you know? And like, there are ways to do that, but I feel like Zack Snyder doesn't get what makes these characters special at their core. And all he wants to do is drag them through the mud, which is something that I don't have a problem with. I enjoy stories that do that, but when that's all you're doing and all you know how to do and all you think is good, like it doesn't lead to a a film that is like really anything but a trudge to get through. And that's how I feel about all of his superhero movies, you know, and like Watchmen is a frame for frame reshoot until it tries to tell you how to feel and like misses the point of the narrative. Which takes me back to the point that Kale made, where it's like, I just don't think he's very good at building or understanding characters. Like, he's a fine director, he's a fine cinematographer, I guess, like, but his movies are all style, no substance, and the style is very samey. Like, if you've seen one oversaturated Zack Snyder movie, I feel like you've kind of seen them all. And it's like his obsession with just these, like, hulking hyper-masculine, libertarian fantasy men. <laughs> I'm just like, I there, there's nothing about it that's appealing at all. And, like, hearing him be like, oh, yeah, like, here's what I would have done if I was allowed to double down on my vision. It's like, cool, it would have been even worse. No, not not to his, uh, not to his fan base. Yeah, Ooh. well, great, a bunch of man babies. Who all want that three-and-a-half-hour cut of Justice League. I'm sorry that you didn't like Batman v Superman. You just didn't understand the political nuance, you guys. I'm sorry everything can't just be happy-go-lucky, pie-in-the-sky, jokey Marvel movies. It's like, yeah, because those are the two ways to make movies. Thank you. All right. I'm I'm going to cut the bash fest right here. Hit Uh, it. (laughs) So I have an alternative opinion. Mm. Oh, like alternative facts? (laughs) <laughs> no alternative opinion so I think that Zack Snyder's vision for these characters was never going to get over I don't think that there was I don't think there's a world in which his vision for these characters would be received the way he hoped by audiences even though Batman vs Superman did do well in theaters, it didn't do. I mean, eight hundred million domestic is nothing to sneeze at. But what was the budget though? Wasn't it like I don't remember. It was high, and they wanted. They were really hoping to make over a billion with it, um, and that didn't happen. Um, but my thing is this: there's nothing about what he described that I think is inherently bad. I don't think his idea about killing Lois is bad because it was if you read if you read or listen to what he said, it was um it it wasn't something that would have actually happened. It was a part of what leads into that nightmare sequence, and the vision was that the Justice League would have to prevent that horror from actually coming to pass by stopping Darkseid in the, in, in their timeline. Um the the idea about you know the two the two Marthas that's become a meme and that's fine. When I saw that in theaters, I was actually very uh, very shocked and viscerally emotional when I first saw that scene. And it's funny it's funny now you know people laugh at it and maybe you want to laugh at me, but I I didn't have a problem with that when I saw it the first time. Uh, I think Zack Snyder gets a really bad rap. I think a lot of it is undeserved, 
And I don't think that those movies are good, but I don't think that that means that every single thing about them was bad. And I I don't think I would have necessarily loved to see what he was going to do, but I'm intrigued enough to wish that I could see it. Not necessarily to say that I wish that DC would have continued down the road they were going on, because obviously they needed to pivot. But if there was a way for me to see it without that having to happen, like without us having to keep getting that same track, I'd love to watch it. And I don't know that I'd hate it because I didn't hate what he was doing. I liked Man of Steel, and there are parts of Batman vs. Superman that I really like. I'll give you that I don't think Batman v Superman is as bad as people make it out to be. There are things about it that are good. Um, one of those things is Gal Gadot. Like, that film is what gave us her as Wonder Woman. So, like, fair enough. Uh, just just for uh, to add to the conversation, the budget was between 250 and 300 million. So you can probably assume that they spent between five and six hundred million on it with like marketing and everything, and it made eight seventy three at the box office. So it made a, a a fairly good profit. Domestic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it it, it probably also made an, a, another few hundred million elsewhere. So that's good. It's just not good enough. So it, it, it yeah, it made it made a solid profit. Yeah. So my argument is, yeah. Justice League was Justice League was was actually bad, uh, and they were on a bad trajectory. But I don't think that you can solely put that on Zack Snyder. Sure, my dude, my dude's got to go away. He, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like I, the thing is for me, like I wasn't a fan of Zack Snyder before Man of Steel, so like I I definitely like recognize my own bias against him. Um, but yeah, I just, I I agree with the thing that you said, Sean, where I don't think that his vision was ever going to get over, at least not at the time when he tried to do it. You know, like if these movies had come out and looked good and felt good, like in the like early two thousands, when we were still like an edgier culture, I think that might've been a different conversation, but in like a post Iron Man world, I don't know. The the last thing I wanted to point out was that he's always talked about, and it's clearly evident that the version of these characters that he presented at first wasn't where they were going to end up, um, and that's very obvious. You know, people love to put all the praise on Joss Whedon for Justice League and all the like negatives on Zack Snyder, but that's ridiculous. They're obviously the vision of Zack is in that movie and Superman was meant to become the hero we've always known him to be and Batman softened and Wonder Woman was Wonder Woman. So they were always going there. It's just that he was trying to tell a long form story that people weren't ready for or interested in. And that's completely their prerogative. I don't think that you have to like it. I just think that some of the hate is way overdone. He's a martyr. He ain't a martyr. It's... What it sounds like you're saying to me? Not at all. How's that? How's that? What that is? He gets a bad he, rap. That's a, not. He's, he's a, a. He's a. Mark marker. <laughs> what? He's a Martha. Er. Listen, guys. He had to let his dad die. Okay. Listen. Sean wants a Snyder cut. He's a Snyder fanboy. Let's move on. I would. I would enjoy a Snyder cut. I would like to watch that. Um, my dad. Who I works would at like Nintendo. a Snyder cut just so we can watch <laughs> it and have a conversation about it. I think that would be genuinely interesting. Well, my dad, who works at Nintendo, told me there were hot furries in the Snyder cut. <laughs> so interesting. Oh yeah, they had that. Uh, 
that cheetah sex scene, you know? I heard it was really good. <laughs> you, I mean, are you, is that negative? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't get it. All right, so we're going to start here with our reviews. We're reviewing De- Detective Comics 1000 and Heroes in Crisis number 7. And uh, we're going to lead with Detective Comics 1000. This is a monumental, historic occasion. Uh, it's not every year that you get a 1,000th ep- or issue of a comic. But it's not that historic, right? I mean, Action Comics just had one, so... <laughs> yeah, it was historic for them, too. Well, right, so it's less historic. When we get I our mean... <laughs> when we get our 1,000th episode, it'll be really historic, you know? <laughs> I mean, for who? Well, you'll be dead, so not for you. Yeah, um, you won't make it that long. <laughs> I can only pray. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you in the in the home by then, at least. <laughs> if you read Action Comics 1000, then you know the sort of uh, cadence that they're going with here. Basically just a bunch of uh, short stories featuring Batman by some of the industry's biggest creators ever. And a lot of creators that, you know, have a, a, a strong connection to Batman. And um, uh, it's a re- it's a really good time. I guess we can just kind of we we can take each story um, separately, you know, piece by piece, and go over our feelings about them. Uh, let's start with Batman's longest case, which is the first story, and it's by uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. What do you guys think of this one? I think this was my favorite one. I agree. Um, really, it's wow. mm-hmm. it's. Uh, for me, it it brings up uh, something that I, I don't think I felt from Batman in a while. It's something that something is utterly new and baffling to him. Hmm. Um, and it's it's you know I, I I think there's an element of Batman that like gets kind of lost when you're reading him all the time, and it's just that. Man, Batman can be fun, and like I, f- I feel like that's what this story ended up. Uh, that it's that's where it ended for me. Okay, I feel like it was the first time in a long time, similar to what Kale said, where it felt like Batman wasn't being put on a pedestal. Mm, yes, you know, like it, and 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 in fact, took him a long time to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, it's very like. Yeah, he's the world's greatest detective, but, like, I like it when he still has to work for things. You know, when it's not just like, well, he's Batman, so he obviously has a plan or a gadget or, like, can figure this out in seconds. It's like, getting to see Batman, like, just put the work in, you know, is, like, always fun. Like, that's always the thing that I really respond to. So, like, yeah, this really worked for me. And especially, like, that reveal where it's just like, oh, no, like, it's, you know... Like, the DC detective gang, and, like, it, it just reminded me of that, um, that Superman image, you know, of his birthday party, where it's just like, oh, surprise, Batman! Like, you know, like, I don't know, it just, it it was fun, and, and you don't get that a lot from Batman. You don't even get that a lot in this anthology. And uh, it was very clear that Detective Chimp outclasses him as a detective, right, Marco? <laughs> yeah, it does. Also, I just the art on on this one was particularly good too. I thought. Yeah, Capullo solid. 
like his use of shadow and color um or not you know necessarily color but like shadow and then like light you know is uh there's a lot of good contrast um for me my my, my main takeaway is it just it was a nice little uh encapsulated the whole thing of batman is the mystery never ends you know mm-hmm. right yeah that was what that, i think that was what i got out of this one um I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you all did, but um, it was good. Yeah. It was definitely good. It was yeah, a nice it was, little thing. It was fun. I, I, I liked the way that it just kept pulling him. Like It kept teasing him. And I was like, that was just a, a way to get into his like psyche as well. Just like he constantly wants to find like the next thing. It, it's all about... Like he's never going to stop being Batman, right? So like just keep giving him those those clues. Keep giving him those mysteries to solve. I also like the implication that on some level he enjoys that part of it. Mm-hmm. That the yep. that the mystery part of it is fun for him. Obviously the murder stuff that sucks or whatever, but he enjoys having to test his mind that way. Right. I could see him as a type of kid who would have enjoyed puzzles and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. For sure. I was going to say I just love that last page too, you know? Uh, where, where like they basically like he asks, he's like, why now? And he's like, because it's like, you know, like you're always just the beginning. Cause like, you're always ready for that next thing. And him having that, that moment of realization, he's just like, wow. Like, I feel like that little tiny panel, like sums up the whole story too. the whole short story is just about like how excited Batman is about discovering things. That's one of my favorite panels. Of all time in, in Batman comics, that that little panel right yeah. there. Yeah, wow, it's it's excellent. Yeah. So then next up we had Manufacture for Use, which was by Kevin Smith and Jim Lee. Uh what'd you guys think of this one? For me, the twist is what really made this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think everything else was fine. It felt it was anthology. A, it was a cool look at everything he's done. But I think I think the 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 twist of of what he ends up doing uh, up at the very end is is really where it pays off. Yeah, and it's a, a very unique idea, I think. Yeah, what a mind that Kevin Smith has to have come up with that after eighty years. That that's the first time this has been done. Um, <clears throat> basically, you know, for those of you who might not have read it and don't care about spoilers. We're, you know, we're going to spoil this whole thing. Um, Batman buys the gun that was used to kill his parents and makes it like armor for his for his uh, suit. And, chest plate. Uh, yeah, chest plate. And I, I, I did think that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, I like that it expanded on the world between like with the 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 store. Like it's like, oh, like this is the Gotham City that you always experience. And like here are all the things, the moments, the the biggest hits and you can encapsulate it in this like in this store and this is where like, bruce had to go in order to to get the stuff that he wanted is is everything because like there's always people who are going to be crazy about batman and like mystery and stuff but it's interesting to see it within the world that he lives in so that was cool um it was it was fine um the dialogue was kind of clunky um the art looks good i mean jim lee's jim awesome lee. obviously yeah uh, I'm amazed he uh, did something. <laughs> it's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> My man takes forever to do stuff. Um, it's good work. 
But yeah, it, it was fine. So then next up, we had The Legend of Newt Brody by <laughs> this Paul Dini and Dustin Nguyen. This was that good. was really funny. Um, I don't, I don't uh, fully remember the Paul Dini comic in Action Comics One Thousand. I know I had Mister uh, Mixel Spitlick, but I can't exactly remember what the content was. Um, but this, this was very Paul Dini. This was very enjoyable. Um, this, this was one of the better ones in the in the issue. I think the art was really great. Like it's Dustin Wynn, and I've not seen him outside of stuff like descender and so his art style yeah, here right. is kind of, it's like super cartoony and it's fun and i i enjoyed it a lot yeah it, it worked well for like what the, story, the story was too mm-hmm. that it was like very kind of like silly and 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 like uh kind of slapsticky yeah it was pretty funny i i i enjoyed it at first i wasn't that into it because i'm not a fan of the art style, but um, it, it got me by the end. Just call me new Brody Jr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kale, did you have any words you wanted to say? Not especially. I, I enjoyed it. It was it was fun. Yeah, I think I think this was probably the point where I in this whole issue where I went, you know what? Batman's actually kind of fun. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so can be. The next one was the Batman's design by Warren Ellis and Becky Cloonan. Uh, fun fact that I'm reading here now: Becky Cloonan is the first woman to ever draw Batman in the main comic series. That's what? Crazy. Get out! That's crazy. How yeah, yeah Becky? What about Nicola Scott? Has she ever? I don't think she's had a run on Batman. Has she not? I don't think so. Didn't she do it with uh, Greg Rucka? Or am I thinking of Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman, for sure. Def- they definitely did Wonder Woman together. I don't know about Batman. Well, that's really cool. Um, yeah, shout out to Becky. That's and dope. And it's it's very it's very good looking art, too. I mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, um, this one, I think, actually, I thought had some of the best uh, art in the whole issue. Yeah. Um, particular shout outs, obviously to, to Becky's, uh, pencils, but, um, Jordi Belair, who obviously, uh, Hell Sean yeah. and Marker, you guys are both a big fan of like, oh my God, the colors mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. are fucking great. She's Anytime there's like point. an explosion or the gun or the taser, like just anytime there's like the little flashes of color. It it really really works with what Becky did here and the 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 way that she used shadows to really like give you that kind of like uh, Batman the animated series with like the very very dark Batman with the just the white eyes you know very cool. She's uh, she did by chance or providence uh, from Image Comics and that was an amazing title like just showcasing her art and some of her writing. And uh, it's it's funny that this was Warren Ellis because he's been in this whole thing of just action comics where he like he yeah. he starts and he hits the ground running. So it it's very cool to see all these uh, creators work in their wheelhouse. So that was the other thing is I don't believe uh, Warren Ellis has ever written on Batman extensively. He obviously did the crossover with Planetary, but I can't think of a time where he had an extended run on Batman because he. Hasn't done a lot of DC stuff in like twenty five years. 
Mm-hmm. I, that's what I was going to ask. Has he done much Batman? I don't think so. Um, the, obviously, the closest parallel I can think of is when he did Moon Knight for Moon 12 Knight. issues. Yeah. 14 issues, whatever it was. Um, I liked it, too. I liked I liked it. Uh, I liked the scripting of Batman. Um, honestly, if there's one major character he hasn't done yet that he should do, it's Batman. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> that ending page really got me. Um, yeah. You know, where he, he kind of dresses that kid down by saying, like, look, I'm dead. You don't want to. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm dead. I'm, I'm not even alive at this point. This is all I get to be. You don't want to be like this. And it's great. it, it kind of showed his humanity there in a lot of this, ways. This one was my favorite from a complete package standpoint. Art, yeah. coloring, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and dialogue. It was very. This is probably my favorite. The next one that we're going to talk about was actually my my personal favorite, which was Return to Crime Alley by Denny O'Neill and Stephen. Oh Stabetti. man, very cool. Mm-hmm. This I, oh, I forgot about this one. I literally huh. just scrolled down. This one is phenomenal. Yeah, this one was really solid too. I disagree. Oh, I wasn't a fan of this one. Really? What about it? I don't like its portrayal of Leslie Leslie Tompkins. Um, I think. I think I think if for me this this particular story works, and this is gonna sound dumb, but it works better if it's uh, more of a dream that Bruce is having. Like maybe this is how he sees Leslie. Who, who is Leslie? But, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you why that's crazy. Is Denny O'Neill fucking created Leslie Tompkins? Well, but I guess I guess for so Leslie Tompkins, uh, Marco is uh, she's a character that sort of took Bruce under her wing and tried to be like motherly to him as Alfred was fatherly. Interesting. Yeah, she's she's a family friend of the Waynes. Um uh, she was, she like worked with Thomas Wayne I think and she is kind yeah. of, she's kind of the motherly figure that Bruce never had in the way Alfred is the fatherly figure Bruce never had. Got it. Okay. Cuz I was gonna say I've so, never seen her in any modern iterations at least well, in the stuff that I've so seen. she she factored a lot in um uh, like Greg Rucka's run um, back when Bruce was accused of murder and um, and then like war games. Um, and I think I think that's more my connection. That's sort of like I just don't see her as a shrill old lady who wears, you know, uh, ruffles and a, a, a flower hat like that just doesn't. That's that's how she was depicted in uh, the animated series, too. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't recall that, but I'm just not a fan of it. Even even the idea of her being shrill, I mean, you know, that like she's screaming out in horror. You know, it's not like yeah. she's just being crazy or whatever. Like she has a definite good reason to to be you know yelling like that. Um, she's scared for this person who's been almost a son to her for for many years, and seeing him about to do something that you know, scares her because she doesn't want to see him lose himself. I thought that was kind of beautiful. I think, I I think for me, that's why this works better as like a dream Bruce is having because he would see her as that figure. And, you know, one of his big fears is losing control of that in, in the way that it seems like he's going to do here. Um, but it just didn't, yeah. This is just didn't do a whole lot for me. The the art is out 
outstanding. Steve Epting, Epting. like yes, the the what Batman with the cowed expression looming over the memory of how his parents were shot, Hmm. all the way to the final panel where it almost parallels that. Um, Just it was it was Denny O'Neill, like you know Mount Rushmore Batman writers, just putting up another great you know piece here. It's it's also. Also, you know, I want to point out because, you know, like her or not, this this story would not be the same without Elizabeth Brettweiser. Yes. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. She's one of the she's one of the best of all time, I think. And because of her connection to her husband, she doesn't get enough credit. But um, she really is a phenomenal colorist. And uh, she she made this, I think. Yeah. The use of like greens and oranges is really unique it opened and i immediately immediately thought of um like a, a brew baker story yeah. like, a, like a phillips painting yeah. or something yeah yeah nice. and I, I i so agree immediately i was like this is a brew baker story where's he right? at right like yeah yeah i scrolled through i'm like oh is that him i was like no it's tv damn but this shit looks good i was like oh brett weiser makes sense it's surprising. It's surprising. Brubaker isn't on here. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess he's more well known for doing Gotham, uh, uh, Gotham Academy, uh, Police Academy, or whatever. Uh, and rather than Batman. Police Academy, Police uh, Academy is a way different thing. So uh, Gotham Academy is you. a way different the, thing. The, the, the fucking, Central. Yes, thank Gotham you, Central. Gotham Central. Okay. <laughs> Police Academy. <laughs> I was all over there trying to land on this <laughs> title. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> Next up, we had "Heretic" by Christopher Priest and Neil Adams. This one, I don't think I was that into. I was not either. I think this is probably my least favorite. Yeah, I couldn't get like into I, O'Neill's art. Yeah, I, I Neil agree. Adams. Yeah, no, no, Neil sorry, Adams sorry. is the artist. Um, yeah, I couldn't get into Neil Adams' art either, and the the story was just like a little bit. Kind of like all over the place, disjointed. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you guys. It's interesting that you guys can't get into the art. Uh, I I actually really liked it. This was pretty, pretty spawn on Neil Adams stuff here. Um, but I think I think I think the thing about it and uh, early Neil Adams, you know, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Neil Adams is classic. There's, you know, no way around that. That stuff is good. But this, it feels like it's aged. And I don't mean yes, like yes. matured. Just like it's that same style, but it it's it doesn't quite fit in the same way that it did. Yeah. And I feel like there are some... There are definitely some pages where it feels like they're... There are more short, shortcuts being taken than on others. Like there are definitely a few panels that feel a little bit like rough around the edges. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel refined like, for someone who I know is poli- capable of more polished work. Uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, I, I, I disagree on the art front. Um, you know, I, I, I really. I didn't have a problem with the art at all. I think yeah. Neil Adams is is obviously very talented, and no one's arguing that. But um, I I really did enjoy the art. I just wish the story was better. But Neil Adams' art is, I mean, his Batman is pretty definitive. 
Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't even think you I, can argue that. <laughs> I think I think it I think it was definitive. Damn. I think I think I think like if this is what his Batman is now, I think there are better representations now. Oh, without question. I guess for me, in the context of this is a celebration of you know eighty years, you got to have all the, the 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 legacy Batman talents. Having him here. I don't think he dragged the book down. I think this is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah that I agree with. He's, of course, absolutely. he's a second had, head on the Batman Mount Rushmore. Yeah, he if, has to be if, here. If the question is, do you want to see any of these artists on the current Batman book? Obviously, I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose yeah. his art. Yeah. But I think for five pages, perfectly fine. Um. So next up is I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Uh, I know by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. I thought I I thought you were saying <laughs> I thought you were saying some you were making some sort of connection. I can't wait to hear what you you have to say about this one. I know by Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one wasn't my favorite, uh, but I liked it. It was fine. Yeah. The art was phenomenal, but yeah, yeah like uh, that was next level shit. Cobblepot literally disgusted me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The way he looked as an old man, it was like unsettlingly gross. But I think the colors particularly are really cool because <clears throat> obviously there's just a lot of really great ones. Like that first panel where it just says Bruce Wayne and it's got that like Miami Vice look to it and everything is like very very cool. But um, I like how all of the flashback stuff is kind of grainy. So like, it looks like kind of like a memory, you know, and the stuff that's set in the current timeline is like, has regular lighting and everything. And like, is less, um, stylized. That's really cool. But, uh, in terms of the actual story, like I, there are things about it. I like there are things about it. I didn't like, I'm interested to hear what Phil has to say. Um, it was okay. Uh, it, you know what it kind of reminded me of in a positive way? Um, who's, uh, Ben, uh, the reporter from the Daily Bugle, uh, Ben, uh, what's his last name? Oh, Ben Urich. Ben Urich. There was, uh, like five or six issues from Bendis's Daredevil that focused on Ben Urich trying to, like, uh, saw this kid's uh, his, his dad was like a criminal who the kid accidentally killed or something I, I don't remember the details it's been a long time since I read it uh, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit and then that was that was really good Bendis because that was you know a hundred years ago um, this had a, a little <laughs> bit of that flavor um, it was fine All right. I really liked this one I really really did uh I first of all, the penguin looked to me like I read. I honestly, genuinely read this as if this story was the like end result and took place in the timeline of Batman Returns. That's that's one thing I was going to say is every iteration of the penguin in this story looks like Danny DeVito somehow. Yeah, you can't get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and um. That added some flavor to it for me. I, I loved Bendis' voice on um, Penguin here. Uh, 
there's just a way that he he you know the 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 web 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 like I really like that um, yeah and I I I thought it was good man I don't know I like the idea that Batman's villains know who he is but for their own reasons they choose not to kill or expose him yeah the the Joker has a similar dynamic uh, with him from early on in uh, Snyder Run doesn't he yeah yep absolutely. Next up was The Last Crime in Gotham by Jeff Johns and Kelly Jones. Boy, Kelly Jones, huh? Yeah. Yo, he's uh his art has not developed well. He did uh he did a the wasn't it the last Swamp Thing story with uh mm-hmm. Len Wein? Yeah, Oof. and that was like okay. It started off strong and then like he he's been getting lazy with his art, I feel like. There's stuff just like with with body mass that he has been messing up recently and just i don't know it doesn't feel as refined as he, he used to be back in the day is uh is he doing anything else right now not to my knowledge huh. um i like the the writing i think was very very interesting especially especially the twist on it yeah um i uh, i definitely did not see that coming and i was curious as to where this was gonna go um uh but yeah that Boy, that art, huh? Yeah, the art was really, really rough is the nicest thing I think I can say. Um, and I think I, I liked the story, but it was also like I felt like a little bit... Um, the, 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 the middle portion of it where they're like actually doing the investigation, I remember felt like a little bit clunky to me at times. I did really, really like the the reveal though quite a bit. I thought that was like that that last page is really powerful. I liked it, and I like the art. I like how grungy it looks. Uh, I like that it's not clean. I like that it's disproportionate. It it stands out in the in, in, in the confines of this ninety six page uh, book. So I I liked it personally. Madsen, Madsen's colors though that that's usually Jones's um, colorist. She she does a, a really good job here. I, I I will say like she she's able to inject like a lot of the pulp stuff into it, contrasting mm-hmm. colors, purples against like pinks, all these kind of greens against blues and oranges. It's, it's really good stuff. But um, I don't know if I I gotta disagree on his on his stuff. I don't know his his inkings not a, not on par. I don't know. It's it's messy. I think it's. I think I liked it. I liked that it wasn't clean. So let's move on. Let's talk about the precedent by James Tinian and Alvaro Martinez. I like this one a lot. Um, I thought the the premise was was cool. Like it was like it's a cool moment to gain insight into. Not that we necessarily needed it, but like I think that page. Um, right after the the title page right where alfred's describing everything and like i guess it's two pages of that right where he's just kind of explaining what his career could be while it's showing the the real reality of yeah 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 the history of of dick grayson um i love that i thought this was a really really great story because i think to have a detective comics celebratory issue that doesn't have a story that celebrates robin it would be a crime you know particularly dick you know um so 
I, I loved this, really. I thought this was really cool. And I think it actually, like, when you think about it in the greater context of Batman, it kind of makes a lot of sense that, like, Bruce would be hesitant to do this, even if he had the knee-jerk reaction of, like, I want to help this kid out because I see myself in him. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense that Alfred would, would be, like, you know, it would be good influence for you to have this connection to your humanity, like to the person that you used to be, you know, to like the, the person you were before you, you know, started developing this persona that you could protect yourself from or protect yourself from the world with, you know, and like in a lot of ways, like him having uh, a child that he's responsible for to take care of, to teach, you know, like is going to be that their, their relationship is really a give and take. You know, that he gets as much out of it as as Dick does from, from Bruce. I thought this was one of the better things I've ever seen James Tinian write, honestly. Um, a lot of his Detective Comics stuff leaves me wanting, historically speaking. Um, I think he really boiled down what makes the Batman-Robin relationship work so well, and I think, Pete, you kind of touched on it, is Batman sees himself in this kid, this kid, this lost innocence that, you know, this childhood he never had, and Robin sees, you know, this the coolest guy in the world and he thinks wow i want to be him it's it, the, the relationship so it summarizes i want to be this i want to be like this other person and it's a real yin yang thing and i think J- james tinian really kind of captures that pretty succinctly here uh i like the ending quite a bit too this was a pretty strong uh uh story in the confines of this i thought one thing that i find kind of weird about this this story is it's placing um i don't uh, well maybe 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 not necessarily uh because next is the the tom king one um but i i found this story to be a bit more fun as i was saying so i think i like i would have placed it up there with you know if it were me in charge of it i would have placed it up there with the the snyder and the um, paldini the paldini story so speaking of the Tom King one, it's Batman's Greatest Case by Tom King, Tony Daniel, and Joel Jones. What'd you guys make of this one? Uh, well, Joel Jones, as always, fucking slaying it on this art. Um, I I thought that was a real highlight of it for sure. Um, uh, yeah, Tony Daniel was good. You don't like Tony Daniel? I this is not his strongest offer. Okay. I like to, I do like Tony Daniel a lot. Sure. Um, but I I found a lot of this art to not be his best stuff. Okay. Which I think I think is a shame. Fair enough. Um the the thing about this issue uh is or this particular story is that it infuriates me. Uh there are a thousand dialogue boxes on every single page, <laughs> and it's only when the other characters are on it that you can see who is saying what. Um, and that frustrates me to no end. This is like, you know how people joke about what Bendis, Bendis. does. This yep. was. This I literally was that. thought yeah. that exact same yep. thing. When I, I I skimmed through it and I. Saw all these words, I'm like, oh, this must be the Bendis portion. And guess what? It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, go ahead. 
I also hate how he reduced Batgirl's character to I dated Dick Grayson. Yeah, and that was like that was like an odd choice just because it's an odd choice because she's a lot more than that in general, but also because she's talking about it in a way that doesn't even make sense. Like she says um she she's talking to uh Batwoman and she's like, "Oh, uh Batwoman's like, "Oh, I've been to war. Have you been to war?" And well, she asks her like how old she is. And yeah, yeah. Like, but then Batgirl's like, woman. "What war? I've dated Dick Grayson." Yeah, that's that's completely. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. I think it's supposed to be like, "Oh, you, and, you think and, you had it rough in an actual war? I had to date this fucking guy." Yeah, it's a joke. Yeah, it but that just doesn't make of, sense. It doesn't Weird. land. Yeah, like. Dick Grayson is one of the coolest and best people in the DC universe. Like that doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, um, and and yeah. like as as shitty as that is, like his characterization of Dick was also wildly off base as well. Like, yeah, I don't know. His Not three sure. lines in this his his general characterization is, oh yeah, I was Batman, and then oh I was Batman, and it's like. What? Right, right. I, I liked the uh, panel between him and Damien. I really enjoyed their interaction. I thought he nailed that. Yeah, that was uh, good. And then I also liked that they were taking a picture together. That was a nice touch. Um, and the final page That theme fine. is good. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That was yeah. a good way to end the book. I, yeah. I, I do really think that the... Uh, the the interaction like the dialogue between Damien and and uh, and Dick is really funny. Um, the thing where he's like the thing where he's like oh well you're like if we're counting uh, Ace then you're the twelfth greatest detective. I was like that was pretty funny. I don't I don't know if you saw on Twitter. Uh, they've also declared Lois as like the thirteenth greatest detective or something. That or or like it, it, and so. That makes Dick like fourteen or something. <laughs> so then uh, we get uh, first of all, following up this story is what I think one of the best images in this entire book by Mikkel Jenin. Um, uh, really beautiful. And then there's a, a double page spread that's also gorgeous, which is by Jason Fabach and Brad Anderson. And then we, we and then there's art by Amanda Connor and uh, Paul Mounts as well. Then we get into another story, which uh, is it, it's told through these uh, single page splashes. Um, it's someone's monologue, and these are beautiful pages, beautiful art. Um, and then we from uh, Doug Monk, who I don't always appreciate but i thought he was really good here yeah and then the reveal is that it's it's the arkham knight and it's peter j tomasi introducing the arkham knight the comic or the video game character into the comics i i didn't know what to make of this story uh it's it you know we have no connection to that character so it doesn't mean anything yet it also seemed very repetitive because we had that uh, Kevin Smith and and Jim Lee story at the very beginning, right? Yeah, I, I was I was really not a fan of this. Um, I I thought it was like a really I didn't like that as the end of the book. Like I know that like really it's not the end. Like you know the the Tom King story is. There's like, always a new beginning. Yeah, like I just I didn't like that it, that they had 
all these things that are celebrating Batman, and then they're like, here's a tease where it's just three pages or five pages or whatever it was, uh, more than that, Jesus, it was a lot longer than I remember, um, of them just like being like, Batman sucks and he's bad and he, you know, and I was just like, ah, that's kind of like, I get it, we're setting up what's coming next, but it just felt like a little, I don't know, just inappropriate a little bit, I guess. And I'm also just, like, not... I really didn't like the Arkham Knight character in the Arkham Knight game. Oh, here so, we um, go. No, we don't have to talk about it, <laughs> Phil. You're the one who gets up in arms when I say I don't like the game. Uh, so I'm, like, not excited for him to come to the comics because I didn't like him there. It's so. not the same character, though. Just want to point that out. Oh, okay. I thought you said it was. It, that no, was what I remember. That, like, it's the Arkham Knight. It's just not the Arkham Knight from that game. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's a little bit interesting then, I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't a fan. I, I agree with you that it, like, brought down the hype level because like, all the stories sort of helped to either build on, um, just, like, build your energy about, like, the celebration. And then this one was kind of just like, and here's what we're looking forward to next. And I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> But like, let me. Well, could have done without that. Yeah, like, guess guess I won't be reading the next thousand issues of uh, (laughs) Detective Comics then. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) We'll see what they do with two thousand. Overall, as a celebration of the character, I think they did him justice. I think this was uh, really good. I think most of the stories were were quality and had something interesting to say, even if it maybe wasn't unique every single time. Um, I think they picked a great cast of, of, of creators, both writers and artists of all kinds. There were some weird omissions. I, I do uh, feel that way. But um, Grant, uh, Brubaker, Rucka. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, I feel like this is... This is a strong offering, and I personally feel like it's better than Action Comics 1000. I agree. Oh, by yeah, by a lot. Yeah, it was. That also was lacking a lot of folks. And there was a lot more uneven stories in that book, I think. Yeah, I yeah, certainly. So, hats off to Batman. Thanks for the memories, and I'll see you in uh, Detective Comics 1001. With Arkham Knight. I'll be wearing hockey pads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. That's good. All right. So uh, now it's time for the main event. Ah, we. Wait, this is the main event. <laughs> this yeah, is the right? main event. Historic oh, landmark you. issue versus heroes and oh, crisis. Really we got one more. Oh, Damn! And here I was packing up my wine. Nah, uh, uh. You've been packing talking... it up all day. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking Heroes in Crisis number seven. Now, uh, seven of nine. Seven of nine. We nice. said that this time with this issue, we were going to give it a fair shake with a fresh set of eyes and really try to look at this book very critically and see if there was stuff we were missing or if we were being too harsh. Phil did not do that. So, uh, there are some revelations here. Um, Tyler actually mentioned on Twitter and tagged us 
uh, at the Comics Pals that uh, he, he basically said that he felt like this, if 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 issues one through six were a drip feed of information, this is like a downpour of information. Uh, do you guys agree with that? No. No. No, sir. I'm dry. Well, I wouldn't say I'm dry. <laughs> There's a lot of questions. Oh, sorry. I was I referring. Yeah, I know. <laughs> A1. You're, you're, A1. You're he, he means his glass is empty. <laughs> <laughs> My man that, had to get up and leave. To that get was more a wine. triple. That was a triple entendre. I love it. Wow. All right. But no, um, on the issue. So I, I take it you guys just don't agree with that sentiment. Yeah, like I, I, I feel like this added more information than the last few have for sure, but uh, it, it certainly didn't answer all of my questions. Okay, I want for Kale to start off with his thoughts on this issue. Uh, all right. My first thought is, how dare they put Superman on the front cover? <laughs> Uh, like he's gonna stop this fight and he's nowhere near this issue. It's it's classic old school comic covers where they just lie to your face. What I thought was funny was I feel like this this picture of Superman yelling enough is very much how I felt going into this issue. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, Harley Quinn's rhymes were really good. <laughs> I I could really I could really make the songs as I uh, as I progressed. Solid. Um, similar, similar to um, uh, uh, Detective Comics One Thousand. I hate Tom King's characterization of Batgirl, uh, but I think I've said that all along, so that's nothing new. What I what I did like about this is are the 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 steps forward we've taken here with Wally, and I think that's where the the story really. Um, moves forward but i don't think it's a dump of information like tyler said i think it's just another small step it was really cool to see all of the interviews focus on one character for once yeah yeah um i uh i think what what's interesting here is is the um the feelings this wally seems to be projecting onto barry um and I think that's the step that we're looking at. But as far as like the end reveal, uh, where we're dealing with two Wally Wests, like we already knew that. Booster told us that in the last issue. So I I don't know. I this one doesn't it doesn't feel like there's a lot of it doesn't feel like there's as much meat to work with as the last issue because i i also criticized us for not uh, not sort of digging into a, to an issue with uh what appeared to have uh n- you know nuance uh but i i read this twice and i uh it's just not it's just not <laughs> like i will say this issue was was better you know, like, I, I think that it, similarly to how, how Marco and I felt about the last one, like, there were things about this issue I liked. It had some good mm-hmm. moments. Like, I think this was a stronger issue among the seven, for sure. Um, 
and there are even things about it I enjoyed. So, like, that's good. Like, I'm glad to see that it seems to be moving in a better direction for the end. Um, But, yeah, I definitely... I'm interested to talk to Tyler about what he thinks the major leaps forward we made here were. Yeah, if it for me, this intrigued me, um, especially with some of the stuff like towards the end. But I don't think it provided me with any information that would change my opinion about where the story's going or what the characters are doing. It just felt like, okay, this is just we're continuing the story. We're getting some kind of development that I'm sort of not sure about that is enticing me enough that I would pick up the next issue to be like, okay, what is what does this mean? Dig but into nothing that, Marco. Ab- How do you mean? So you're, you're you know you said that there's things in, that enticed you, stuff at the end that you were intrigued by. Like- oh, duh, we have uh, spoilers. So like the 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 which one when when Flash like strikes the the lightning and then all of a sudden like some plant chick pops up. I'm like what the fuck was that? That's not poison it's ivy. Point. Is it? Yeah, it's poison ivy, dog. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean, some plant chick? That's poison <laughs> ivy. <laughs> There's literally only one plant chick. <laughs> but like, that's not like what she looks like, and that's not a power set I've known her to have. I'm like, uh, for some reason, he was, as he was saying a lot of the stuff, the the poetry, the things related back to what he was like going to. He's he's talking about the past and he's reflecting. So for some reason, I imagine it. He like struck this flower and was able to somehow bring back somebody from his past and reflect on that and then have that person experience his own death in some weird time loop. I think I think the idea, and I, 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 you know, I, I can't be 100% sure about this. I think the idea, you know, this is comic book logic, but I think the idea is that he plants this flower and uses the lightning to sort of almost flash fry it um and give it like all the sun it would need and then boom a poison ivy grows out of it so you're you're right um and marco i actually don't blame you at all for not picking up on what's going on here because um (laughs) because that's fucking wild (laughs) (laughs) so the the missing ingredient to this conversation is that it appears that dc is doubling down on the idea that pamela isley is one of the green which you would understand that language, Marco. And mm, okay, not about it. <laughs> uh, well, they've they've alluded to a relationship with Swamp Thing before, um, but you know, barely on, on that level. Yeah, not not deeply, but obviously Tom King is going back to that. Uh, they're going to have to explain that. He's going to have to explain how this how this works. Um, but uh, it, this obviously shows us that that. You know, the, in the last issue, there was somebody holding the flower. We speculated on who that could be. It was Wally. Um, but, yeah, now she's green. Oh, again. yeah. That's right. Right. I forgot about the five from, like, issue five or something. Yeah, yeah, I guess that was issue five. Six, six was a flashback. Because we were, we, were ta- we, were, we were talking about who that red glove with the flower could be. Right, yeah. Um, Phil, what are your – or, no, Pete, yeah, you went. Phil, what are your what are your takes here? Well, Clay Man did a great job on art once again. I have to say, oh yeah, um, it's it's very visually uh, appealing. Um, this is a this is a chore to read. Going to end like I just don't care. Like a a responsibility of a writer is to make you care, and like we're seven issues in, and like I feel like I'm just past the point of not caring anymore and i felt like i was there three issues ago 
everything is just moving at a snail's pace and that's not bad and inherently um you can you can build suspense and drama and and intrigue slowly i'm not a person that needs something rushed i i like when things develop organically but the thing is every issue does not feel terribly dissimilar from the last and revelations and 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 advancement of plot through characters who are react when you have protagonists that are wholly reactive to the plot rather than and rather than being the forces that change the plot it it, that's a risky tight uh tightrope to walk and that's what we have here and nothing that happens means anything and it's bad it's a bad book i I read someone on twitter describe it i think it was a I feel like it was a bleeding cool. It was it was a reviewer who described this issue as a placeholder issue, and I thought every fucking issue is a placeholder issue. So, it's just not good. I uh, I was a little bit confused, to be honest, with the two Wallies situation. I I have some theories. That Please, I've, uh. I, I said pretty early on that I, I would like this if it went with a certain th- part of my theory, and I don't think I talked about it, and maybe I did later on. But So my, my initial theory was that either Booster or Wally, uh, my initial theory was that the house, you know, we do see that the house, you know, or the program or whatever, sanctuary, can create uh, a, another version of of that hero we see it I, th- I think we see it do it to booster whoa i i don't know what you're referring to or i i want to say issue three maybe uh booster he he talks to himself and it's like a copy of himself made through sanctuary okay mm, i do remember uh, that yeah so my my theory early on was some i i think my first theory was that this was the copy of booster that was you know did the murders um i'm i'm wondering now that the time has passed is it the copy of wally uh we also know that you know this is wally from 5 days ahead that also sort of makes me wonder if it's a copy of Wally from, you know, that maybe went ahead or, but there's also, there's also all this blue lightning and we had, we had in uh, the last Doomsday Clock, Wally West was mentioned specifically by someone and I, I'm still sort of holding on to the fact that there's there's a connection other than you know the 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 rebirth thing uh that this that Wally and Manhattan are one are connected are you know because this this blue lightning is what Manhattan has been sort of moving through throughout rebirth and throughout 
the uh, you know the times that he's done stuff. I read this blue lightning as just being you know Wally's Wally's a representation of movement. And I, I think I think I think there is uh, something to that. I think I think you're you know I could be connecting something that's just not there. Uh, but uh, there's just uh, it just doesn't sit right with me. I I don't know, man. I feel like Tom King at this point. I just gotta come on and say it. He's being intentionally obtuse. He's not. He's he's not. He he. It feels like there's nothing genuine behind this. And like you know, I, I know how that sounds. I'm not. I don't want to be disrespectful. I think Tom King is a great writer. I don't think that he has. I don't think that there's a story here that needed to be nine issues long. It, it feels like to to sort of take another angle on what you're saying. It it feels like he he came in and did the job. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like something like Visions or Omega Men or uh, even Mister Miracle, where there was a story to be told. Right. It just kind of feels like they wanted him to do an event, a job, and he did it. And what's so weird is that he he had the idea for Sanctuary. I think. DC approached him to turn it into an event or whatever, but I think he was the one with the initial idea. Um, there's like whatever this is, what like what we saw in this issue doesn't answer any questions. The only question it answers is who was wearing the red gloves. But correct me if I'm wrong. Other than that, we don't know Jack because I'm not convinced that Wally killed all these people. I don't really see DC agreeing to let that happen. Um, we know he's not dead, but. There was a we we already knew he wasn't dead. Um, Poison Ivy's back somehow. How? Why is she green? We don't know. Uh, the, the, nothing like <clears throat> it doesn't feel like anything happened. We know that Booster and Blue Beetle and Harley and Batgirl are gonna meet up with Batman and Flash. Okay, cool. The whole issue it took all those pages just to get them to the point where they're gonna meet up. That's not dynamic. I, I don't I don't know. They're gonna have to wrap up a lot of stuff in two issues. Yeah. Like yep. it just Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And the thing is, all the characters are so passive Right that it's relying on it it's rely the the book is making you rely on you perhaps liking Wally West beforehand or Harley Quinn or Booster Gold and not actually doing anything with the characters okay harley and booster are fuck-ups but they actually aren't actualizing anything and they've been stagnating for seven issues it's the same fucking carousel over and over with these two characters looney tune uh, stuff yeah and it's just it's not engaging you're not moving with the characters here it's all passive everything is passive there how can there be an intrigue and a mystery when the plot is static I also just feel like a lot of the characters don't, like, their motivations and actions don't always make sense to me. Like, the fact that Batgirl's like, oh, don't kill him, and then she's, like, surprised when she's gonna, like, stab him to death. You know, it's like, what, like, what, what, what are you expecting here? She has no like, urgency with that. Yeah, exactly. Right. She's like, stop, no, don't. Yep. You know, and, like. And there legitimately came a chance, a, a, a window where Harley could have killed booster gold and that would have been on fucking Batgirl. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, like, I think on top of that, there's, like, these moments um, with, uh, with even just, like, why, like, the Batman Flash scene, you know? Like, there's a lot of, like, slapsticky elements to it. And I'm just yeah. like, why is this happening in a book about trauma and PTSD? And it's like, where the fuck are Superman and Wonder Woman? Why aren't they doing anything either? Yeah, like, it's, it's I that, feel like no one is doing anything. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Pete. There, there's a lot of tonal inconsistencies with uh, ill-placed humor after a lot of people died. And to that, like, why, why does it look like Harley and Booster Gold had sex? <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm not saying it wasn't hot as fuck. I'm just saying, like, why? <laughs> like, oh, maybe they did. Man is thirsty, dude. Like he. <laughs> that's that's not even that's not even Clay Man. Oh, you're right. That's one of uh, more. Like, I'm I'm not sure if it's Travis, uh, Moore, Travis Moore or Jorge Fornes. Yeah, it's got to be Travis Moore. Travis did a really good job too. This issue, though. Are you say. sure that's not a Clay Man page? Yeah. Yeah. I know, it, they're very similar. I was counting them before. I think I'm pretty sure it's not. Because he's Travis Moore, like what has he done? He's he was really good. I don't know. I, I haven't I don't know the name. I I don't know. I wanna I, like I we talked about this. I wanna give this series a fair shake. I came into this issue prepared to analyze it, hoping to enjoy it, because I really, really, really want to get into it, but I can't. I don't know where the meat is. There's no heat. Nobody's acting. No one does anything. Batman doesn't give a shit. I honestly don't think I've ever read a comic where Batman was this passive. That's the... He, he was he was slouching in those first two panels. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that dude don't give a fuck. Flash, Flash is like running... He ran the whole planet Earth, basically, to try to find these people. Where are they at? That he can't find them if he ran Earth. Yeah. That's yeah. dumb as hell. I don't I don't get Batman didn't put a tracker on Batgirl in the in issue 5 when she went off to go try to find them. But wh- why are these characters so stupid? I like if I can think of that, Batman would have thought of that. And Batman right. would have done that and he would be there. They would have found them and they would have taken care of this whole thing. This is stupid. It, it feels it feels like a relatively novice writer not having an editor and that's a bad feeling for a Tom King book. It's just so surprising, too. Phil, Phil and I were kind of talking about it before the show started, but, like, I'm kind of getting tired of Tom King. <laughs> like, uh, between, you know, the story that I wasn't quite a fan of in uh, uh, Detective Comics and the ongoing saga of this, man, I would like to, at this point, I would like to read something by Tom King that's good. Like, <laughs> You're going to have to read... um. Uh, Miracle Man, finally. Or no, not Miracle Man. That's Mr. not Mr. Mr. Milagro. <laughs> As he and, is known in our Spanish language. Thank you, Marco. <laughs> and, and, and Batman is, is good. I mean, it has its moments. It's not, you know, it's not bad. I don't know what it is, and I don't want to speculate. I like Tom King as a writer. I think he has chops and has done a lot of work that I have loved. Absolutely. But yeah, the, I don't. I don't want to hear it anymore about this this series in terms of, and, and 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 you know I'm not throwing shade at Kale or anyone else, uh. 
but I don't think that there's anything happening here under the hood that I'm just too dumb to get. Oh, I, I let me be clear. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. The, up at this, up to this point, I think there are there are seeds that he's planted, but none of them have paid off so far. You know the stuff the stuff that uh, he has Wally say about Barry, I think is super interesting, and I think that's a very yeah. interesting reading of the character. What did he say? And again? It, he says, uh, "Oh, I had this whole family and." love and stuff i keep talking about that and they got crushed by a time crisis multi something which was caused by barry and they're gone and everyone wants me to be the symbol of hope uh and yeah he says he says a couple of things uh in that panel yeah uh he he also like blames uh him for like messing up his childhood yeah well yeah and not even necessarily messing it up but sort of like coming you know coming back from the dead and and not like it seems like he he's angry at barry for not letting him become the flash on his own when he had developed that all on his own and he had to do it alone i do think that's a very interesting reading of of wally west especially at this point but there's nothing here to pay it off they've already done that man like Joshua Williamson did that already in in Flash. They already had that fight. That was the that was the that was literally what Flash War was about. I don't I don't understand how you could tell this story here when they just did that. Flash War wasn't even a year ago. They just told this story. My my only other thing is like what what could this possibly be except Okay, well, we added one Wally West, and that seemed like it was okay. And then we brought Wally West back. Let's add another Wally West and see what happens. Like, I don't, I yeah, like you, Sean. I I don't, I don't get it. I don't see what he could be adding under the hood. Like, I I, I do want there to be a greater mystery, but with the seeds that are planted, it's just. The information is not there. And like and how much time we have left too. And we should have gotten it by now. Yeah, absolutely. Compare it's not a fair comparison, but just compare this where we're where we are with Doomsday Clock. It's not even close. It's not even it's not even in the same ballpark. It's not on the same planet. It's not in the same galaxy. But honestly, <laughs> if you would have if you would have told me a year ago that there would be such a disparity in quality this three-fourths of the way in both books, I uh, I don't know if I would have believed that. Yeah, I think I would have uh, thought yeah. it would have been the other way around. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I not for me yeah. personally, but... And it, well, either way. Um, we'll, we'll leave it there. Heroes in Crisis as ever the conundrum. And Can we drop it? No. No, we're no, fucking finishing it. Yeah, at this point, I want to finish it. Oh. I didn't read seven issues of this shit to not finish it. Come Mar- on. Marco, I'm with you. Don't worry Masochists. about it. Masochists. If, if I weren't on this podcast, I would still read it because I, as much as I don't like it, I need to know what the hell he's trying to do here. Yeah, yeah I agree. And even still, I, unfortunately, I'm still interested enough to try it in the trade to see if I can pick it up 
to see if I could see what he was going for. But if we weren't doing this podcast, I would have dropped this four months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely love stories that force you to go back and read prior issues and sure. you, know, you know things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, Let's go back and read the Goon Boy. What's that? <laughs> What? Lagoon Boy, the, oh, the, the the character that dies over and over and over again in that one issue. That's, holy Yo, shit, Marco! Good you found reference. The, you found the perfect analogy to describe what this is like reading this book. It's like dying <laughs> it's over because, and over it's again. Because yes, Marco is Lagoon Boy. Oh shit! <laughs> Marco Swamping was always lagoon the boy. Lagoon Boy. I live the experience of it. I'm living the experience of it right now. Mm-hmm. I hear you. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, I want to put this out there. If you are enjoying Heroes in Crisis, forget what I said about not wanting to hear it anymore. I genuinely want to hear what it is that you get out of it that I don't. Because it's not a matter, believe me, it's not a matter of wanting to dislike the book. It's not a matter of disliking Tom King. None of that. It's really just that I don't get it. And I don't feel that it's because there's something that I'm lacking. I just don't think there's something here. We're also certainly trying, right? Like, we're here seven issues in. We haven't liked it, you know, unanimously since, like, the second issue. Um, I don't think I liked any of the issues. I said unanimously. I liked the first issue. I was like, oh, okay. What's up? I'll see where this goes. And then I was like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, Tyler, please, uh, you know, whether it's on the long box or whether you write in, let us know what you're seeing that we aren't. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to figure this does, out. Does he, like, interested. does he like it? He didn't say that. I think that. so, yeah. He, uh, well, judging by what he's said on, on the long box, I think he, okay. he does enjoy it. All right, fair enough. Maybe I got to tune in. Or, I don't know. Or at the very least, he doesn't hate it as much as we do. Fair enough. Uh, so if you if you enjoy it, you want to hit us up to talk about it, or, of course, anything other Anything else that we've talked about on this episode, you can get us on uh, podcast hosting platforms, whichever one you prefer. While you're there, make sure to leave us a comment and a like. Um, you can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, on YouTube, you can leave us a like, comment, share, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do. They help us out a lot more than they cost you, and we'd appreciate it all a lot. We love the dialogue, and um, you know the same way Ryan and Matt wrote in, we'd appreciate the same from you, dear listener. I want to make sure to plug the Shazam Book Club, which is out right now. Go check that out, and gear up for our Infinity Book Club, which will be out on April 19th, I believe Marco said. Yep. Um, that was a fun one. Uh, it is, you know, quite a few issues that you do have to read, but there is a checklist, and I believe that uh, we have that posted out as well on social media, right? Yes, we will. Yeah, so uh, we've got you covered on that front, and it's well worth your time to read it and listen to our book club on it. So with that, let's do some plugs. Pete. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about what you're thinking about uh, Heroes in Crisis because I, uh, yeah, like I, I'm really interested to hear from somebody who's high on it because if you hate it like the rest of us, you know, uh, spare me, I guess. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, you can also catch me uh, on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, which we will be having our uh, grand finale at episode 100 this week. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that. It should be a blast. 
Uh, I've got some fun stuff planned for our main topic that uh, I think is going to be a good time. So uh, we hope you'll tune into that. And uh, if you want to catch some more work from me, you can find my stuff over at LootPots.com where I do uh, Nintendo news reviews and, and that sort of thing. So if you're a Nintendo fan uh, and you want to get some more from me, you can go check that stuff out too. Awesome. Kill. You can find me at TotoInto, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I do a podcast with my wife called Gone Global. Uh, it's a podcast about uh, all the little things that you uh, miss between um, between cultures. Um, so in this week's episode, we talked about um, uh, 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 a British comic character called Minnie the Minx, who is sort of a... Uh, best the best way to describe her is sort of a female Dennis the Menace, um, and I brought to the table uh, the Tick, um, and I ruined the whole conversation. So um, <laughs> please, uh, <laughs> feel free to uh, you know uh, swing swing by on iTunes. Uh, it's we are on iTunes now. Both episodes are are on there. So uh, share, retweet, review. Um, um, we would love you know for for uh, for this show to blow up for absolutely no reason um have you introduced her to craft singles yet oh it's coming baby <laughs> you know it's coming <laughs> marco you can find me on instagram and twitter at mr marco Anamoto. um no 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 plugs this week plug 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 that wine you drank again oh word uh, <laughs> let's go Terror. Terre Rouge, uh, <laughs> California wine, a uh, sir, Syrah, Syrah, beautiful. <laughs> I Phil. love it. Get the twenty thirteen year. Yeah, twenty thirteen. Oh, good year. You sprung. <laughs> good year. <laughs> Please follow Daniel Devito on uh, Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> Give him the much much love he deserves and uh, needs to survive. Uh, and uh, of course, feed him some pecan sandies or rum ham. Um, Sean and I are going to have a, uh, a WrestleMania preview episode coming out soon, so check that out. Uh, a little special there. Uh, you'll hear what we think. Otherwise, uh, that's it for me. You can follow me on social media at Cyborg Bebop. Awesome. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox where you can hit me up absolutely to talk about Heroes in Crisis or your favorite Batman moment. So with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Phil, I need you, I need you to carry me to the bathroom. <sighs> well, you know what? In this little simulation we did, you did it. You made it through three hours. You can watch Avengers. Please. Please. I can't feel my legs. <laughs>